The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Cy and Dan and an episode today looking at something that wasn't in our original running order when we planned this series, but we called an audible. And when I say we, I of course mean me, Cy, and my partner in time, the always wonderful Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, mate. Fresh off a a day of some deathmatch goodness watching the wrestling and ready to talk about well, I was gonna, I was gonna give away what my uh, my thoughts on it then, but we'll save that to the end. But to talk about the uh, time recording, the most recent episode of Doctor Who. Mm. Indeed, indeed, uh, October the twenty third, twenty twenty two, the power of the Doctor, the Jodie Whittaker story, where she left the Doctor Who f- show franchise, whatever. So literally only a few months back, this aired, and I suppose. We could say that emotion kind of took over us a little bit, Dan, because we spoke after uh, after this and both said yeah. we need to do a proper review of this. Let's do it for next season and then just rewrote what we were doing for next season and, and ditched, I think, one of the Doctor Who movies for this, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, we were going to look at uh, one of the Peter Cushing movies, actually. Um, but after watching The Power of the Doctor and how well people can listen to the recordings i I think we were both absolutely blown away by it Mm. um but the sort of the goal of this little experiment was to see if it stands up to scrutiny uh, months later to see if it if we did indeed just get uh, get carried away or if it actually stands up to all the uh, the hyperbole that we uh, that we bought into at the time yes and this is this is why i think this conversation is going to be um, very interesting because I mean we, we've looked at really old Doctor Who, looked at more recent Doctor Who, etc. This is going to be very much fresh in people's minds still because it is only a few months old. However, I know that I have not gone back and rewatched this, and I'm 99 certain you're the same, Dad, aren't you? Not rewatched it since the day it first aired. No, I haven't gone back and rewatched. I, I maybe I maybe watched it the day after, but I was still sort of basking in in the glory of it at the time, and, and yes. still very much on the on the hype train, as it were. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. So just for those who are unaware, we did a review episode of this right after it aired. And we both were crazy excited about it, weren't we? Massively. Yeah. Crazy, over the top, excitable. Yeah. And again, that's an instant reaction. Months have passed. Lots of other things have been happening in the Doctor Who world, I guess. You see pictures and new filmings on Twitter and, and all this sort of stuff. So even though we've had no further episodes, things have kind of advanced on with rumours and images and all this sort of great stuff. So I look back at my initial reaction of being crazy excited over the top, somewhat emotional as well at certain moments, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. And the big thing for me when I pressed play on this today was is it going to get the same level of emotion and feeling and excitement and 
well, I suppose, am I, am I going to enjoy it as much? So I think as we go through the episode, I think that's going to be quite interesting. Yeah, that was at the forefront of my mind as well. And, and then I was thinking, I, I was torn between, am I going to get as carried away with the emotion as I did the first time? And then I thought, right. am I going to be too aware of getting carried away? And is that going to affect it when it doesn't need to? And I've got really okay. in my own head. So I got really caught up in sort of over-analyzing or under-analyzing my own reactions and really in my own head about it. And then I just decided to switch my brain off, watch the show, and let just let myself be taken for the ride again. Yeah. Because I just got, I got, I got far too in my own head. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I watch everything for the show in kind of the same way, the same method. Um I, I will go upstairs. I'll sit upstairs on my Todd normally um, and watch away from everyone else in the bedroom. And I, I will make notes as we're going along. Um, I, I did that again here, but there were a couple of moments where, and this is, this is the part that is unusual. There were a couple of moments where I had to stop and hit that little button that takes you back like 15 seconds, you know, yeah, or 10 seconds or whatever it is. Cause I missed something. Mm. Now that, I don't. I think in all the episodes we've done, and all the stuff we've reviewed, and all the many, many minutes of Doctor Who we've we've watched, I can count on one hand how many times I've done that. I think I've had to do that, the whole rewind bit, more on this episode than in the whole run of our show combined. Mm-hmm. Which to me leads me to my first point about this story. It feels incredibly fast all the way through. It's it's dense. There is a there, there is a lot going on, and I kind of noticed the same thing in that there is so much going on. It can be a little difficult. Well, maybe not difficult, but if if you're not paying full attention, you will miss something and potentially get a little lost. Um, thankfully, with the way I make my notes, because most of the time I'm pausing every you know every. 30 seconds or whatever to, to note stuff down or to make sure I've got dialogue and, okay. and whatever. So I sort of process it quite well because my, my note taking sort of lends it to, you know, there's, there's never more than five minutes, you know, five minutes stuff to process at any one time. Um, but on that point, I actually made my notes for this a little bit different. There's, okay, interesting. There's not as much, um, there's not as much direct quotation or verbatim stuff as I normally have. There is a there's, there's a there's a bit obviously because it's me and I can't leave stuff alone. But um, yeah, just going through, I was thinking there is a lot here. They've crammed in a, a, an awful lot from even just you know the whole thing starts with a, a Cybermaster train heist and a shootout. Mm. That in itself is as much action as some episodes get. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I mean, let's, let's let's begin with that then. Let's, I suppose, start at the start. I suppose the the beginning of the episode it serves a purpose. Well, it serves two purposes for me because we have um, effectively the unveiling of this child uh, that comes into the story later on, and we also have Dan getting shot in the face with his mask on on the top of the train, which lead to two big parts of the story. You know, one happening very soon, one happening a bit later on. But I feel now, looking back, there was so much around that just to get those two moments to happen. Because the Cybermen, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically sort of 
Time Lord Cybermen, aren't they? They're covered in Gallifreyan markings. They've got yeah. the headdresses. They've got regeneration energy and all that sort of stuff. But it's the um, it's the it's the Cybermasters that the Master created at the end of um, at the end of Flux. Yes, okay. no, not Flux. Again, at the end of Jody's last series. Either way, he did them at some point. And again, this is something that's going to happen in this episode as well. I can talk to you about things that happened in 1975 and just pluck them off the top of my head normally. I don't trust my own memory, so I always go back and double check, but I tend to find I'm correct. New Who, and especially Jodie Whittaker's time as the Doctor, mm. even though it's the most recent, I don't remember fuck all. <laughs> so See, that conversation we've just had there, where I said about the Cybermen with the sort of Gallifreyan Time Lord um, head dresses and markings... And then you pointing out the master created them previously. We had that exact same conversation on our immediate review episode of this. <laughs> because I didn't brilliant. remember then either. <laughs> I wonder how many times we're going to do that. It's going to happen a lot today. <laughs> oh, but yeah, the, 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 the space train, on the inside it looks like a, a train. On the outside it's kind of like a big space wormy thing. It, visually it looks incredible. And we get the moment of the, the Cybermen arriving and the the moments of the Doctor having to kind of, I suppose, scale down to the train because they can't uh, materialise on the train because of certain blocks the Cybermen have put in place. The Cybermen look incredible with all the Gallifreyan markings on them. Mm. The TARDIS hovering above this fast-moving train and people climbing down a rope ladder. And then even the Cybermen and the Doctor, Dan and Yaz, being on top of the train as it's tearing around in, in space. All of it looks incredible. And that's a big theme, I think, that we have throughout this whole episode. Visually, this is amazing all the way through. I just don't know if it was all needed straight away. I think the... Uh, apologies, by the way. My neighbours have just started doing some DIY, so if you're only banging in the background, uh, that's what that is. Um, I can balance that out, my friend. My neighbour is currently playing what I believe is Led Zeppelin 4 quite loud. Madness. So maybe a little bit of Zeppelin will balance out a little bit of DIY. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... This felt like they needed or they wanted a just a giant showpiece spectacle to to keep you to just hook people in and that's what it is because it's so quick you know there's the everything's dramatic it's a training space amazing it's climbing down off the tardis the ladder's just a bit too short just absolutely fuck the idea of jumping onto that train by the way no thank you um the cyber masters are in there there's there's laser fire they're also pulling some sort of heist. The 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 drama of them regenerating and, and the people realizing, and you know, then Dan gets shot in the face and he's he's slowly losing oxygen. Him and Yaz are being held onto the train by the doctor, and you know, nearly flying off into space. It it almost blows you away. You know, you've been taken on this world and you're just like, wow, geez, what? Okay, now I need to see what happens. You know, imagine if yeah. you turned it on for the first. Imagine if you, t- you know, you're a lapsed fan, or, or maybe just coming back to Doctor Who for whatever reason you've picked this episode. You see that, and you're hooked. Yeah, that is very true. But it's very spectacular, dramatic opening, <laughs> I guess. Potentially, this is what happens when Doctor Who has too much of a budget. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to find out a little bit more about that in the future years, aren't we? With a uh, old Mickey Mouse investing, but there we go. Um, well, well, Disney investing in all that, aren't they? Oh, they? In Doctor yeah, Who? I yeah. didn't know. 
Yeah, apparently the budget per episode is going to go up to about 10 million. Oh, crap. And they're taking um, the whole back catalogue onto Disney+. Plus. I don't know about the classic Who, but the new Who is all going to be available on Disney+, Plus as, as well as the iPlayer and so on. But it's still going to be made by the BBC. Oh. Disney+, Plus, Disney are just chucking a load of money into it, apparently. Oh, fair enough, I didn't know that. But um, back to this episode, the, I was still sort of hooked in immediately by the uh, by the opening scene. That what I was I was like, right, yeah, I'm in for this. This is mad. It's it, I'm there. <laughs> there was one moment in this opening scene though that I've got a specific note about because it reminded me of watching it the very first time, and I had exactly the same feeling of it. There are moments during Jodie Whittaker's run as the Doctor her companions and and the doctor herself are guilty of this in that there's huge moments of peril huge moments of danger very serious you know plot aspects i guess and this is one of them they're trying to get dying from the the tardis on this ladder onto this moving train the ladder isn't quite long enough and so on so it's quite a, you know it's, it's a big serious indiana jones-esque adventure moment i suppose but we get the thing of Dan landing, standing there, throwing his arms out, and the Doctor went, oh, 9.9, great landing, Dan. It was just a bit cheesy for me. And I think, I know sometimes you've got to try and lighten the mood. I know sometimes you've got to try and have a little bit of comedy relief in some of the darker moments of the show. But for me, this wasn't dark. This was action-filled. And that took me out of it a little bit. First time round, and this second watch as well. I just found it a little bit, a little bit on the cheesy side. I may be nitpicking slightly, but that's just kind of something mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've got to sort of bring up, you know? No, I can, I can, I can get it. Um, the one that got me second time around, I don't think I mentioned this first time, uh, it was the sight of, of Jodie running through the train in a, in a spacesuit with a helmet under her hand. It, it made for like quite an awkward, sort, an awkward sort of jog through. And I don't know why, but it just really tickled me. And I'm just like, I probably shouldn't be laughing here, but I am. <laughs> I get, yeah. I mean, I imagine, again, that's one of those where they want a certain shot whether they're going to use it as a promotional thing. I mean, that orange spacesuit has kind of become pretty iconic now because a lot of the doctors in you who have used it, haven't they? Mm, yeah. Or a variation of it. And I suppose they want that shot of Whitaker doing, uh, you know, all action running down the train and so on. But if you're running with a helmet, you wouldn't carry it like that. If anything, that's going to slow you down. Isn't it? <laughs> so it, it comes across a little bit cumbersome, maybe. Yeah, it is you know you'd, you'd either just have it by you know you'd have it by the the sort of the inside of it you know that goes under your chin, hold it there perhaps I wouldn't have it under my arm because then I'd, you you know you running around like you're carrying a roll of carpet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, effectively the Cybermen are after the cargo of this space train worm, and there is a pod <laughs> in there. And that is the cargo. And inside this pod is what appears to be a child. Hmm. And the Cybermen disappear with the child, don't they, Dan? Yeah, and I think this is a, a great sort of, I want to say hooker or misdirection or whatever, because of all the things you expect the Cybermen to be stealing, you'd be thinking technology or maybe even, you know, one of their own that's been captured or, or something like that. But to open that pod and see a kid, hmm. it, it's just, ooh, okay bit weird yeah yeah definitely but then we cut away and we're in siberia 1916 yep and we have our sorry 
So I'm just going to say another thing, another sort of general point on this. And again, I think it goes with the kind of scale and, and scope of the story that we're trying to tell. It doesn't have to jump around. Oh, does it ever? Does it ever? I mean, that was that was going to be what I was kind of going to sort of mention now because I've got the note of Siberia 1916. And that's mm. just there to remind me, to prompt me that this is when we see the master who is you know, behaving as though he is Rasputin, a very impressive beard. <laughs> and he is convincing a royal family to go on holiday and all this sort of stuff. I mean, I think that may come a little bit later on, actually. But yeah, yeah we see the master there and yeah. But then straight away, we're in London in 2022. No, we're not. Are we not? Oh, no, sorry. I've I read it. I read it too far. Yes. Sorry, we are. I was. Uh, I skipped ahead to when we to win the land in Liverpool. But there we go. Okay, there you go. Perfect example. There's so many changes of, uh, I suppose the correct term might be time zone or location. Mm. We're going from this crazy thing with the train. We get the graphics and the intro. We get Siberia 1916. We get London 2022. We're then in Liverpool. And we're also in the TARDIS. The Doctor's talking to Yaz and Dan and so on. There's a lot of jumping around. To the point where you and I have both made a mistake reading our own notes back because it is so prevalent in these early moments. I do chalk up some of the some of that to me being a fool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just just for you know hundred percent clarity, that was me being an idiot because I skipped out a, a, a four line paragraph. Right. Fair enough. So okay. you know, I'll, uh, I'll I'll let it you know I'll let it slide on there. But yeah, again, if you know. If you're someone who, who does find it hard to track all these things, then you, there is a chance you might struggle um, because you just, you know, we're all, we are all over the shop and, and not only within Earth on different time zones, there's also a, a full-on manufactured planet that comes into it later. But if we're sticking with um, 2022 uh, London, um, much like the first time round, um, my heart just soared when I saw Sophie Aldred. Yes. And me. Again, and me. you know, just so happy. <laughs> when it well, when it cuts to London 2022 and you get the graphic at the bottom saying where and when they are, thank God I was I'd be even more lost. And I'm <laughs> glad they put a sign up to say exactly where we are at that point. I obviously I know Ace and Tegan return for this story. Obviously I know that the, the old doctors pop up later on and so on. But as is, you know, pretty well known, I think, pretty acknowledged in our little podcasting circle. My memory is not the best. And I didn't realise when we got the, the shot of the outside of this quite regal looking building and the, and the caption of London 2022. I didn't realise until the camera was literally on her that this is the first time we saw race. So I almost got a, <laughs> even though this is my second time watching, I almost got a second, I was ace, like I did yeah. the first time watching, which is quite nice. Yeah. So I I knew it was coming. I you know I remembered, and just seeing Ace there and the fact that she's FaceTiming Tegan. Obviously, we've we've only very recently had a story with Tegan. Um, just yeah, it's just a wonderful hit of for a lot of people for a lot of people nostalgia, and and for me being new, sort of relatively new to to classic, it's it's a wonderful bit of fan service. It, you know, the, the, they've taken the time to write these characters in and say, well, of course, this is what they'd be doing now. Yeah. You know, of course, they've taken their time with the Doctor and are still doing this sort of thing. And 
I, had, I even had a little pop when they said about missing seismologists because it just got me thinking of Earthshock. Yes. Yeah, clever you know, little tie-ins. Yeah, I might be seeing something that's not there, but you know, we've got missing seismologists, which made me think of Earthshock, and also of um, you know, in, the word missing seismologists, but it was a seismology problem, and with uh, with Inferno and the drilling thing, you know, how many stories have we seen with a giant drill? Oh, there's loads, yeah. We, we, yeah all we were missing, all, all, we, all we were missing was a quarry, and that's is. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we got we got the we got the space Nazis. We got the Daleks. This is true. This is true. Uh, Ace is investigating that paintings are well, paintings are going away. They're not vanishing, but they're being removed because they are mm. um, well. They're being sent for maintenance and cleaning and so on. But Ace points out to the uh, the steward at the gallery where she's viewing these paintings that the one they've just took to be cleaned, I suppose, is something that happens to a lot of old paintings, isn't it? Um, uh, restored, they, I think, is the term. Rest- okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I nearly said touched up. <laughs> yeah, that's a different picture. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, this would have been done only a couple of weeks previously. So why was it going again? And then she has a FaceTime conversation or a video call conversation with Tegan, who at this point is in, did she say Romania or Bulgaria? I can't remember. I didn't write it down, but yeah, somewhere like that. She's in one of the Aeneas. And um, she's <laughs> oh, I <laughs> yeah, see exactly. And she's checking out these these missing people as well, and reveals that she's had a package delivered to her from the doctor. First contact that she as Tegan has had with the doctor in decades, and it's a Russian doll, but it's actually a little model of a Cyberman. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of this bit I quite enjoy because first of all we get to see Tegan, then we get to see Ace, and then we get to see that Tegan and Ace are working alongside each other to a degree, or at least in contact, whilst working various different things. Yeah. Before we cut straight back to present day, and we're back in Liverpool, and we're kind of just dropping Dad off, aren't we? Yeah, but also just one more thing on uh, on Ace and Tegan: the little bit of uh, competition where they were arguing about who's been, who's been abandoned the longest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, but yeah, very cool interaction between you know between them and seeing the former you know seeing the former companions, and then we get um, yeah we get the shot of Liverpool. Dan lives near Anfield. We've got Anfield just as it should be, rightly, sort of front and centre as the TARDIS lands. The Doctor is a red. Uh, that means I can't watch Doctor Who anymore, unfortunately. But the Doctor is not a red. The Doctor is a Liverpool fan. No. Yeah, it's canon now. It's not. It is. I'm not, I'm not willing to accept anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jodie Jod, fan, Jodie Whittaker's version is a red. <laughs> Uh, yeah okay we'll have that um, <laughs> there we go look at the compromise eh? old age is softening isn't it? <laughs> we, just can't, we just can't be bothered to argue yeah there we go uh, what did you think of Dan's exit then second time round um, it's still very relatable um, mm-hmm. it's you know he's, he's been shot in the face basically yeah. and he's just actually do you know what I'm good We've had fun. I'm going home, and I don't blame him. It is, it is a decision that I think anybody could come to. And, and the more you think about it, the more yeah, you, I'm there with you. It, it's a bit abrupt. Um, yeah, but then again, it's not been around long, so it's a bit. It's kind of a bit like Martha, I suppose. Except I think he had fewer episodes. You know, so 
it's fine. I, I, he's not been around for me to have any great affection for. Sorry, not been around long enough for me to have any great affection for. Um, I quite like um, Jody seemed almost like hurt, but kind of proud as well. But I think it yeah. was still a, it was still a bit off to just shut the door, and then you know Yazek having to explain you know not one for goodbyes. Yeah, and that that doesn't quite fit with the Doctor for me. It's it seemed almost petty mm. rather than anything. I know he's not been around for long, but you know at least you know just see good, but you know shake his hand and send him on his way, you know to his ruined house. Well, his house wasn't even there, was it? Yeah, because well, no, because of what happened in uh, in flux. Oh, again, my bad memory. I just assumed it had been stolen because it's Liverpool. And he left it unattended for ten minutes. That's that kind of comment is beneath you, Simon. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not mad. I'm, I'm disappointed. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, the character of Dan for me is a real strange one. Because I, I'll tell you, we had a conversation, my wife and I, about Bradley Walsh. And the fact that he, because he, you know, I said we're recording this for the show today, and obviously Bradley Walsh is, is it pops up later on and so on. And when Bradley Walsh was first announced as a companion on Doctor Who, I was a little bit like, oh, I ain't sure about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Because I viewed him as the bloke from the chase. Yeah. Now, my wife has seen him act in a great deal more. She likes Law and Order, and he was in Law and Order UK. And I think he was in um, one of the soaps. I can't remember which one, but for quite a period of time. Coral, so, I think. Okay, yeah. So my wife has seen him act a great deal more. So to her, he is an actor who also presents a game show. To me, he's that bloke from the chase. So I was yeah. very unsure. However, he won me over very quickly, and he fast became one of my favorite companions. Yeah, same. When? Dan was announced as being a companion, and uh, John Bishop, sorry, was announced as being a companion playing Dan. I was more open-minded to it because of what happened with Bradley Walsh. Mm-hmm. But it had mm-hmm. almost the reverse effect. I never bought into the guy's character whatsoever, and it's not just the Liverpool thing. Before you say it, I never bought into the guy. I never bought into. Yeah, the guy. yeah. Well, I think I think we know. I think given your previous comments, we all know that's bullshit. <laughs> I never bought into the guy as a, as a real companion. It, it it didn't feel like Bradley Walsh is is Bradley Walsh is is a guy playing the character of Graham, and of course there's going to be parts of Bradley Walsh's real personality or real character drifting into that. But Graham is Graham. Yeah. Whereas I find with the character of Dan, it's just John Bishop getting called Dan. I, I, I do see what you mean. Um... It was it was fine, but he mm. always felt more like he felt more like a guest star than, uh, okay, yeah. than a than a companion. It, it, I, I don't want to compare him to this, but it's the only one I can think of off the top of my head because they're both comedians. When Peter Kay played the Absorber off in possibly the worst episode of Doctor Who ever, right? Yep, and it was a comedian doing a thing that. You know, it always it never felt like it was going to last. Mm, yeah, it always, it always felt temporary having John Bishop around, and at least he left before he got before he got stale. But he also never he never got lovable or or memorable. I think Dan, as a character, will often be forgotten about or only brought up in relation to this episode. Mm. 
I, I, I would go as far as to say, and this this might surprise you a little bit here, uh, I would go as far as to say that I'd rather have Ryan back than Dan. Are you okay? Hmm. You okay, would, you, you, know? you okay, hon? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I do see where you're coming from, because they do mention Ryan, and they explain it away as to why he's not there. Um, and he does have more, I suppose he does have more history um, yeah. with the Doctor. And we're great. Well, There's the tie-in with Yaz and, and all that. Dan, uh, again, I suppose as well, you can always put it down to the writing, because Dan was only in flux. And then he had a couple of specials, and then he disappears in this episode. That was yeah. his run. Flux was very similar to this, in a way, in that there was so much going on. I never really 100% got what was going on at the mm. first watch. It was far too quick. And so, and this kind of almost feels the same, in a way. I can't, so wait, to do, I can't wait to do like half a series on Flux. Yeah, it's going to be funny. But um, there's so <laughs> many moving parts in flux and in this it's almost like dan kind of gets almost lost in the shuffle i suppose you know the other specials i don't even see him as being memorable in the other specials the sea devils special uh, to me was memorable because the sea devils were back even though when i actually watched it i was a bit disappointed but mm. the sea devils were back the other special the daleks on new year's eve the irish lady the comedian there a aisley Ashlyn, Ashlyn B, I think her name is. Yes, okay. I mean, first of all, she's lovely. I'm a big fan of her. <laughs> secondly, her being in Doctor Who was more memorable to me than the character of Dan, all the way across Flux and these three other appearances. Because I think, again, you, you touched on a very good point of saying about the writing. Um, he, got give, he got given a couple of funny lines in Sea Devils. He, he maybe had a few in Flux, but I can't remember them. And but Ashlyn B got given a really memorable role, but also a really memorable story. Yeah, you know that kind of that kind of time loop thing is a bit of a sci-fi trope, and has been done to death in other uh, in other sci-fi shows. But Doctor Who did it really, really well. Yeah, that so, was a good story. Yeah, I, I, so, you yeah, I think about it, a couple of you. Sorry, Dan, you're saying about a couple of. He was only given a couple of funny lines. I don't want him to be funny. If I want to see John Bishop be funny, I'll watch his stand-up. Fair. I want, I want a Doctor Who character. I don't want John Bishop, the comedian, on the TARDIS. I mean, on the network, on SJP World Media, uh, our good friend Morty and I were looking at a show called Murder in Mind. And that is standalone stories about particular murders and, you know, all dramatised. It's not, you know, it's all, it's all fiction. Mm. But the big thing about it is that there's so many people in it doing different roles to what they're used to. So we've already seen Rob Brydon in a very serious role. Mm. We've seen Pauline Quirk from Birds of a Feather in one of her very first serious roles before she went on to do other things and do very successful. That, that for me, is superb because we're seeing somebody, they are that character then. Yeah. This just feels like John Bishop in the TARDIS. And it didn't work for me. Maybe it's a combination of not stellar writing and maybe John Bishop just isn't that good an actor. Yeah, maybe mate, maybe. Um, Yeah. He's not a character I'll miss, but he's far from the most sort of irritating, annoying character I've ever, I've ever come across in Doctor Who. So Mm. he was just sort of, (laughs) he's just sort of there. And it's, you know, it's kind of, he's, you know, four or five out of 10, nothing offensively bad, nothing brilliant. 
if we, if you were doing a list of all the companions, you'd say, oh yeah, oh yeah, we well, can go in the middle. Mm. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, um, whilst the Doctor is, I suppose, doing a little bit of an adric, I guess, having a little bit of a, a childhood, <laughs> a, ch- a childish stampy footy strop in the TARDIS, and Yaz is saying her talas to Dan, a Dalek appears and basically says it doesn't believe in the Dalek mission anymore and is willing to help the Doctor destroy all the Daleks. Mm. Now, that was, that's a bit of a... Why? I mean, even the doctor says it says it herself. Effectively, what, what the hell's going on? This is so strange. This is this is this is crazy, isn't it? It's definitely a moment and completely out of character because the Daleks and, and as much as Doctor itself are, are kind of a national institution. Mm. And if even people who don't wouldn't watch Doctor Who know the Daleks and know what their deal is. But I did quite like it that with this sort of non-believer Dalek and the calling back to that they're actually verbalising the Carleds for, to my knowledge, the first time in modern Who and acknowledging the whole Dalek backstory. Um, yeah. I thought it was very good. And they did it, as with everything in this, they did it quickly, but not in a way that would overload you with information. Mm. You mentioned there, again, it was done quickly. It's another jump around for me. Mm. And it's it's another, you know, we've had the train, we've had Siberia, we've had Ace, we've had Tegan, we've had London, we've had Romania, Bulgaria, whatever. The painting has gone. We've got a Cyberman doll from the Doctor. Dan's dropped off. Oh, there's a Dalek. And we're only, what, fucking ten minutes in? Yeah, I th- see, this, I, I can see it already. I think this is where we're going to differ, because I'm pretty sure I said on the first recording, which I've not gone back and listened to um, for this, to be honest. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I said it about the, this episode, and I've said it about many others. If you're going to do a story that bounces around and hits so many beats and does all this, it has the potential to do two things. You'll either feel like you're being on a roller coaster, being taken along for the ride, or you feel like you're hanging off the back of the roller coaster for dear life. Mm. And I fall into the former. I fell into the former. And still and I'll just throw it out there now. I still do. Because I, I, I have no trouble processing all this. Okay. Mate, okay, we've been putting some cards on the table then. The first time I watched it, I was incredibly excited because of what I'd seen. Mm. But we sat down to talk about it. And we didn't break it down, discuss it at length, which is why we're doing it now. But we sung its praises because of the old doctors and a nostalgia standpoint, the old companions, the regeneration, and all this stuff. You know, and the the, the master is fantastic in this episode as well, and, and all that. But we never actually sat down and thought about the story bit by bit, you know, scene by scene, broke it down how we tend to on the show. Mm. I think that if we did when we first watched it, I would really struggle to have this conversation because this second Mm. time round, this second watch, I got a lot more of what was going on. It made a lot more sense to me, the whole plot, the whole, you know, why, why does this planet tie in? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? The way it all ties together, whereas it's not perfect, but the the way it all kind of ties together Mm. was a bit more clear for me and a bit more easy for me to grasp. Whereas the first time round, I came away from it going, oh my God, that was amazing. And if somebody said to me, why was it amazing? I said, well, Ace, Tegan, the old doctors. Mm. Like, okay, but was it a good story? I'd have probably gone, 
I don't know. <laughs> Funnily enough, that actually, it's that's how I feel about a movie called Sucker Punch. And I don't know if I referenced okay. it this first time around, but Sucker Punch is a movie about um, a woman who gets wrongly committed to uh, a mental, you know, mental institution, but she, in her mind, puts herself in all these different realities to tr- to get various bits of pieces of equipment that she needs to try and mount an escape with other with other people in there. But it's taken me about eight watches of the film to fully piece that together. Otherwise, it just feels like action set piece after action set piece, and I come out of it going, "I love that film." I don't know why. Yeah. But there was a lot of stuff going on, and I liked it. <laughs> Do you know what this would? Uh, I was going to try and save this for the end, but we're talking about that that, that topic now, so it kind of fits. Do you know what I think this would have benefited from? In the way that it leaves so fast. <laughs> well, yeah, this is the thing. I, I don't know about how you'd break it down. It's a special, and they give you know it's it's a mini movie. Effectively, it's nearly ninety minutes long, so they've given it extra time and so on. Mm. You know, when we look at episodes of Classic Who or stories of Classic Who. Yeah, and there's like this one episode that feels a lot slower and it's almost filler mm-hmm. but because we tend to watch them either in one hit or in a couple of hits rather than weekly we notice that episode being a bit slower but mm-hmm. it, from my standpoint if I'm watching a four-parter that episode give me, gives me an opportunity to collect my thoughts see where we're going before we move on to the climax of the, of, of the story mm-hmm. it almost feels like it could benefit from a few minutes or a few scenes or a section of time that relate back to the classic who almost slowing down episode. Yeah. So it maybe if it had an extra 10, 15 minutes worth of time to breathe, mm. like it, well, we, we relate a lot of stuff back to wrestling and, and one of my, my favorite, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time is Bret Hart. And a lot of his matches, it was flurry of offense Work, trying to work out of a rest hold and that rest hold just gives it time gives you time to breathe to process it and then on to the next one and makes the next big set piece that much more impactful yes. um, so yeah I can see that I really can and uh, I do have my problems uh, you know a few nitpicky problems with the story in that regard like just coming up now we go from the Dalek there to there's um, you know there's a TARDIS uh, glowing red and there's an additional planet in the shadow of earth in 1916 so we're going back to you know we're tying in the 1916 bit and the reveal of the master being rasputin is so telegraphed yeah it's so yeah. obvious and it's just like but it's still presented as dramatic and it's like well it was obvious who it was going to be mm. we just you know fair enough you tried but it, you know that beat didn't hit and then this, you know, this whole thing about you know the, this this war going on in Russia and and getting the you know and the the master being hypnotic again, which actually I did quite like. Yeah, I love um, that. And taking over the palace, and then we've got a, a, a you know a, a Death Star looking thing in the sky. It's like it was fine, but the big reveal was just just didn't just didn't hit the same. It didn't hit fully for me the first time either. No, because. For me, there's two reasons for that. One, when we see Rasputin, the master, initially, we see him from the back mm. and they're talking to him. And I guess we're not supposed to twig who that is yet because it's a few scenes later we get this reveal, don't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's obvious to him. It's obviously him right there and then. 
So yeah. straight away, even with the long hair and the beard and not seeing his face, you're like, oh, that's the master. And then secondly, I'm as sure as I can be with my bad memory, Dan. The master with the long hair and the beard was in the fucking adverts. Yes, I believe so. So that's kind of why I knew who it was before we had the reveal from the long hair and so on. I was like, well, yeah, we know that's the master. We've seen the adverts in the promos and so on. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, they did themselves no favours there. Um, which it's still fine. Is yeah, no, it's, it's all right. It's, you know, it's there. It's a story point that needed to happen. Yes. You know, um, but then it goes completely wee wee beep boop. And I, at this point, I've put a, put a thing in my notes saying I'm in nerd heaven. Uh, <laughs> because the TARDIS lands on this on this moon, you know, this new planet, this new moon, and it's organic life turned into metal on a planetary scale. It's cyber technology. So we're starting to get the threads pulling together, which I like in storytelling anyway, which I think is why I, I'm sort of led to be more, um, more favourable to this kind of, of, of story. Um, and we've got two TARDISes and one of the, the other TARDIS has got ha 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 written on it which feels like a reference to a comic called The Killing Joke uh, which I could be completely just projecting onto that and it not be a, not be an inspiration and we get into the TARDIS and it's, it looks like a cannibalised version of it like the Paradox Machine from uh, from the Tenant series with uh, the, that was Martha's finale and I, I was just like oh I like this I like this wee wee beep boopy stuff and the car of the TARDIS is wired into the planet and oh see this again is when we come back to how visually incredible this episode this story is because they're on that planet and it's all colour wise it's all tied in because the planet is obviously metallic it's colder colours it's silver it's a light mm-hmm. blue it's it is shot the way it is you'd be mistaken for thinking it was a, a, a sort of icy wasteland as opposed to just being metal it's kind of that kind of tone it does look a bit quarry like as well it does doesn't it yeah and then you've got the TARDISes <laughs> there you know that are, that are blue as well obviously the Doctor's wearing her usual get up which is greys and, and the, the grey jacket grey trousers and so on colour wise it all ties in but the scale of where they are on this I suppose almost clearing on part of this planet visually the colours and everything it just it just blew my mind I was like that looks incredible and the reveal yeah. of Yaz going Doctor as she's turned around to look behind them Again, first thought, first thoughts were, oh shit, what's that? Is it the Master? Is it the Daleks? Is it the Sidemen? Is it this? Is it that? But they cut to what she's looking at, and it's a second TARDIS. And you have the two TARDISes in the one shot. That was a real ooh moment for me. Yeah, even on second viewing, because it, it, it's kind of the last thing you ever expect to see. Yeah. And it, that follows on again from the you know the child that we saw before. But even then, we get another thread tied in because the the child's in chains, mm-hmm. just like hanging, you know, hanging there in the, in the air. But we then get in, introduced to a, another sort of sci-fi being called a currunx, which is basically an alien made of pure energy that disguises itself as something we instinctively want to protect. And then just this is one of my little issues with it. Like I love. That. Fine, you know, it's a fine sci-fi we will beat boop explanation. By all means, there's a being made of pure energy that's been been captured and used to power the planet. Fine, I haven't got a problem with that. It's it's 
it needs to be there. It's a plant device that yep. needs to be there. It just felt a bit throwaway to, to describe him as one of the great mysteries of the universe. Yeah, I've never seen one before, Yaz. She goes. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're incredibly rare, one of the great mysteries, mysteries of the universe. And we're going to move on. I'm not going to, you know, so I'm, I'm going to free it, but I'm also not going to learn anything about it while I'm there. Yeah. I also think as well, it's one of those, same as the psychic paper, it's a brilliant device. Like the psychic paper can be used to display whatever is needed at that time. The way that this entity, this energy, can dis- disguise itself as whatever that person looking upon it at that moment would most want to protect is a really clever little sort of chameleon self-defense system, I guess. Mm. But the other yeah. side of that, with the psychic paper and that is, it could also expose people, couldn't it, a little bit? Because if you'd look at it and it's like the thing you most want to protect ever, and it's just like, I don't know, an image of yourself, or yeah, it's your car. Or box, is it... <laughs> box of pornography that you left in the woods. <laughs> yeah, or like just a big stack of money and you're stood next to your wife and kids or something. That would be awkward as fuck. <laughs> well, well, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't because it would show the wife and kids whatever they want to instinctively protect. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that basically you just blag it, can you? When the missus turns around and goes, "What do you see?" Oh, oh, you love you and, you <laughs> and the children, darling. Obviously, <laughs> not my back catalogue of razzles. <laughs> <laughs> not my, not my season ticket. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but um, we can't leave anything alone for too long, can we? In this in this episode, so we get a, a summation from Jody of second moon powered by a current next to Earth in the second decade of the twentieth century. Great, now we're all caught up, and uh, we just get the Cybermasters teleporting in just to, because we need some shooting. Yes. So why not? Yeah, uh, and then uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't exactly remember what happens there. Do they just get in the TARDIS and go? Yeah, uh, my notes read they fuck off in the TARDIS. Yeah, because my um, next note literally just says we're in unit now. Yeah, Kate Stewart's there. <laughs> Kate Stewart's there. Why not? Um, yeah. uh, you know, unit in distress is uh, is sort of another turn. And I've, I've even got it in my my notes here. This is a roller coaster, and it really is. Um, but the doctors, the case called the doctor essentially to to call the doctor in and help out, and so we're in unit giving doctor a brief saying dozen seismologists disappeared 15 paintings have been defaced and then it says uh, Kate says we've got some new freelancers and don't be cross and mm. there's a lovely little thing between Tegan and Ace where they're both obviously really nervous because why wouldn't you be you know this is the person who either you know you fell out with or abandoned you you know effectively for decades they said are you ready for this i'm like no me neither <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great i think it's um tegan says you said a woman but you never said young um almost like in disbelief and, and possibly a hint of jealousy um i think so and whereas ace just looks really happy uh, so the doctor says, you know, says Tegan Ace, and Ace just looks at the doctor and just says, that is a good look on you, Professor. And as soon as Ace said Professor, I just, I like had a little lump in my throat. Mm. And I'm just like, why am I, why am I welling, why am I sort of welling up over this? Like, I don't, it's not like I have a massive, you know, decades long attachment to these, you know, to these two characters. But there was just something about that line. I think it's because 
I think it's because I feel like Sophie Aldridge got a real, really rough deal, and so did Ace as a character. With the ending, you mean? Uh, yeah, with, with the way, survival yeah. we reviewed, didn't we? Yeah, with the way that with the way that she had to leave, Sophie Aldridge and Ace had to leave Doctor Who. Um, it it just felt a bit unfair, mm. you know, and to to see if, to see her and Teague and finally getting the sort of the closure throughout this episode, it just feels brilliant. You know, it's, it just makes me very happy. And I don't know, but did you get the same thing sort of second time around? Because I, I know I felt like that the first time, but but now with, you know, having watched a, a, a bit more, it just, it, it made it even greater for me, to be honest. I, I did, I did second time around as well. I think, I mean, it's no secret. We spoke about it on the show plenty of times. Whereas they may not be my favourite, Ace and Sylvester McCoy are my doctor and my companion that's what i grew up with that was my first viewings of doctor who on the weekly television before it was canned in 89 they were the they were the regular people on the show in my childhood mm. so i've got that kind of weird attachment to them even though they're not my favorites now having watched so much more of it and it is that as soon as she said professor and, and there's a few other moments as well going on not the big one we're going to come to towards the end but mm. a few other little littler moments with ace especially that i, I, I mean I'll, I'll bring it up now when she gets the jacket out oh. and it, she puts the jacket on it says ace on the back and, and it's <laughs> like i mean sophie aldridge in her 60s now i believe yeah, and uh, but it's when it's when uh, Kate Stewart says to a bit eighties, and she's just like, "Thanks." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's that moment, and it's it's a lovely moment, and Ace has got a smile on her face, and it's but it, it got me again emotionally. I was like, "Oh man," you know. I think you've kind of alluded something to there. Some alluded to something there that I want to expand upon. You say about you know Sophie Aldred being in the sixties now, and and you know obviously you know the actresses are, are much older than when they're in the show because you know, time passes, but mm-hmm. they're still so much themselves in those characters. You know what I mean? Ace is still Ace. Tegan's still Tegan because the first you know the first thing Ace does is call the Doctor Professor. The first thing Tegan does, <laughs> having described herself as a gob on legs in Earth shock. The first thing Tegan does is have a go, you know, because the doctor says, "So, how have you been?" <laughs> like you care, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ace shows it Tegan we discussed it for so thirty-eight years. <laughs> yeah, and you sorry, just telling Yaz that saying we used to be you decades back. It's like, oh, they've not changed, and it's just fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, we spoke about it um, for, for definitely for a previous Tegan episode, maybe even the previous time we've we, we discussed this, and that the. Tegan's relationship with the Doctor was kind of complex. She mm. couldn't get home. She was almost a reluctant passenger for a long time. And the way she was left at one occasion was bad. And so it's quite a complex relationship as a companion. Mm. Whereas with Ace, and I don't want to downplay this whatsoever because it, it, I'm not trying to sort of belittle Ace or her relationship with the Doctor or even that, but a big portion of Ace's relationship with the Doctor and we almost see it here as well when they're reunited in these opening scenes. She's like a puppy. She's just like a little loyal puppy that wants to go and see them, see her, pardon the pun, see her master. Hmm. You know, obviously there's a lot more complexities that come into it later in Ace's original run, but she is just that enthusiastic, happy, sort of really keen to please individual. And with regards to the, the ladies' ages, well, we should do them 
you know uh, the credit they deserve um sophie aldred at the time recording was well she's 60 now so so she mm. it will take a few months and she looks fantastic for that Jeanette fielding who plays tegan is 69 years of age mm. my god she does not look 69 no and i'll tell you what i couldn't run around like those two did no i'd be on my ass and shot by sidemen within about five paces Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and her Twitter account as well. You mentioned the the gob on legs and all that. Jeanette Fielding's Twitter account, if anyone wants to go follow her, is actually at JF Jeanette Fielding at JF Mouth on Legs. So brilliant. I, I, I like I like that as well. That's a clever little yeah. That's great. Love it. But yeah, it's getting into the paintings was uh, was a nice sort of little touch as well because yeah. yeah. We've seen, uh, certainly in Modern Who, like, I remember, for some reason I remember Matt Smith in the episode The Power of Three, which was one of the last sort of Amy and Rory uh, stories. He was off on a bit of a jolly. They were trying to have sort of mostly normal lives and just going on the odd the odd adventure. But he just popped up in the back of a Laurel and Hardy episode and they said that he was, like, waving at them through history. And it, yes. it was kind of the, uh, the sort of the sinister version of that here. Yeah, because, I mean... Um, Kate Stewart explains it as Rasputin's face appearing across these, you know, the, these paintings and, and through time or however she worded it. But we already know that's the master in these pictures. And the doctor says that it's the master. To which, of course, Sophie Eldred's, well, Asa and, and Tegan both go, that's the master now. And yeah. I, I, it's very easy, I think, to potentially forget or not pick up on certain interactions or certain moments with the characters of Tegan and Ace and the master and their histories. Because I was thinking about this episode before we watched it today, Dan. And the things that stand out to me are, like I keep saying, the old companions coming back, seeing the old doctors, the regeneration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The interactions or even just the passing comments between the companions and the master are fantastic as well brilliant yeah. throwbacks brilliant touches of nostalgia but so understated and always throw away lines at times that i mean if i was to watch this with charlie which i will do soon because we, we're, we're sort of halfway through capaldi at the moment so we've got a few mm. more series to go but this this is coming up upon us soon she won't get those comments or the past history because she's not seen classic here so it doesn't ruin mm. the story from that aspect but for someone like myself I mean, there's a there's a comment earlier on with, uh, oh, sorry, later on, sorry, with the master asking how Tegan's auntie is. Yeah, that's genius. Just a throwaway little comment because the master killed her. The master killed her back in eighty, whatever it was, eighty one or whatever, you know. It, and it doesn't ruin the story not knowing that, but for somebody who is aware, they get a little kick out of it. And I like that. I mean, that's really clever, really, really well done. As opposed to maybe some of the later interactions with characters and the holograms of previous Doctors, I feel when we get to those that it's going to be a case of you kind of need to know a little bit more than just having watched New Who to understand why that's so emotional. Mm. Yeah, potentially. I mean, obviously, I've not watched vast amounts of old Who, so and it still had a very, you know, still a very big effect on me, to be honest. But yeah, it'd be very interesting to see that through uh, through Charlie's eyes. 
and then mm. to get and essentially to get her feedback would be quite good actually. Um, wow, term, she's term, agreed to put a mic. She's agreed to put a headset on, mate. She's agreed to have a microphone in front of her at some point. Don't, don't <laughs> jinx it. Don't jinx it. Um, but one thing I did like about this, as you pointed out, was it was the what from Teagan and Ace, the sort of the disbelief that this is the master now. Yeah, and you, you do kind of it, it's very subtly expanding on sort of the world from the Doctor's world from their view. Because the last time they saw the Master would have been Anthony Ainley. Yes, for both of them, yes. Yeah, and and it's just brilliant. And with the comments that the, the, the Master makes to them later on, you don't need to know the history. You just know that he's saying those things to be a dick and to try to get to them. It's, I, I describe in a little, well, just after this, it, Sasha Dalwan's um, Doctor is... A little bit jokerish, yeah. In, yeah. In, a, a little bit like Heath Ledger's Joker. There's a lot of sort of, and it's sort of no, not it's kind of nervous energy to it. He's all he's all over the place and and feels like he's maybe just had one too many Red Bulls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get you. <laughs> he's he's obviously got all this intelligence and all this malice and all this stuff, and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he's just you know wanting to just do everything all at once and. Yeah, it's it it works. I still maintain because a lot of people I've seen quite a few people shit on um, on this version of the master. I don't think it's a bad master. I think it works in the context of mm. of the series of the series he's been in. Yeah, I think this is the strongest episode. Yes, oh, easily. This, this yeah. incarnation of the master. I think that that he is well written for a start mm. but brilliantly acted it's a fantastic performance you say about you say about well written um i'm torn on something that he says just shortly after this because he does this video invite to naples uh, for the doctor and the doctor then gives tegan and ace static shocks which is uh, sort of halfway between a big deal and throwaway somehow it's noticeable mm. but you're just like oh that was a bit odd but it plants the seed in your mind. And, you know, we get the masters there. He's giving a seismology lecture. He's killed all these seismologists, you know, by shrinking them, as, as we've seen quite a lot. And it's, you know, it's very sinister. He's doing his, his sort of joker routine. But the first thing the doctor asks is, how did you escape Gallifrey? And he just says, magnificent attention to detail. And then does like a little shoulder barge as he walks past. And then just launches into his evil, essentially his evil plot. Mm-hmm. this version of the master and previous versions of the master would have been wanting to explain and, and present how incredibly clever they were to get off Gallifrey and to essentially do something the doctor didn't know about see I don't even think that's a master thing I think that's a time lord thing you look at the, <laughs> yeah, doc- the yeah. doctor as well all incarnations of the doctor want to explain at the end how clever they've been it's almost like they have this arrogance running through their whole race you know it's <laughs> you're uh, you're starting to uh, you're starting to sound like a cyberman in earth shock <laughs> well yeah there you go there you go the cybermen yeah. were right <laughs> oh god um it, yeah it just it just felt a little bit out of character and mm. you know you, you can maybe look at it and say well now he's just moving on to an even bigger even cleverer plot so that's that's where he gets his satisfaction, but 
you know, again, it's it's a minor thing because maybe you could also view it that he's he's withholding information from the doctor to have the the satisfaction of knowing something the doctor doesn't. Yeah, I get it. But still, it just it felt a little bit off, and it, ultimately, it sets up the master saying, "This is the day you were erased from existence forever," which is like, oof, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's gone from zero to a hundred mile an hour quite quickly. Um, <laughs> the we then get another sort of these these cuts, don't we? Um, the master's taken to unit first of all. Uh, soldiers all rush in. He seems very happy about. It. He's all soldiers, all for me, and it, the master is taken to unit. Before we get a cut to a character I quite like, but we don't see a great deal of mm. in any part. I mean, it's a character from Flux, so we don't see a great deal of we don't see a great deal of anyone in Flux because there's so much going on and everyone's got to share the screen time, I suppose. But it's um, is it Vinder? It's pronounced. Yeah, yeah, it's Vinder. Just before yes. we get to Vinder, though, just I've got to give a give props to a couple of lines from one from the Master and one from Yaz. Um, the, as he's been led out, you know, the doctor's given Yaz a gun, which is a big deal to me mm, because it's yeah. a sign. It's a sign of fear and, and possible desperation. That is a huge story, a huge point to note. Um, and you kind of, it kind of brings into stark relief as well when Yaz mentions weapons training that she is a police officer by trade. So yeah. of course, she, it makes all the sense in the world, and she's the only one the doctor trusts. But as he's being led away. The master says, clear up the tiny bodies and inform the loved ones for me. Mm. As if that's exactly what he wants to happen and where he wants to be. And then Yaz tells him, all this messing with your mind chat, I've heard worse on a Friday night in Sheffield. Yeah. I I love that line because I've I've been out in Sheffield. (laughs) (laughs) There's a line as well. I mean, we mentioned, since things were on that topic, I guess there's the one line maybe that I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here, I suppose, with regards to the master's interactions with the companions, um, with the stuff with Yaz it is what it is. I'd imagine most people who have watched this episode has watched the previous, you know, episodes with Yaz in, uh, cause just, you know, the, the time it was on, but the ACE Tegan master interactions and comments, I, I said that you didn't really need to know what was going on previously. There's one that, I loved, I got a massive kick out of, but I can imagine having to pause it when me and Charlie get there because she will do the thing where she raises one eyebrow, tilts her head, looks at me and goes, huh? <laughs> and, that was, and that was when Ace turned to the master, just as he's getting escorted into unit here. And he goes, she says, the last time I saw you, you were half cat. I love that. <laughs> I got a massive kick out of that. But unless you've seen survival, which I would imagine that many people, I mean, I, the, the classic who rebooted in what, 2005? Yeah. So this is 2022. So we're looking at 17 yeah. years. And there's going to be people that this is all the Doctor Who they've ever seen. And they've watched all of it. They love it. It's a big, there's a big back catalogue of episodes now. But references to classic Who like that, they might never have seen, you see. Well, the only reason I've seen it is because of this show, really. Right, okay. Um, so, you know, I'd very much fall into that category. But on the flip side, maybe, just maybe, it makes people go, what? Well, now I have to know. And yeah. you know, it makes people take up a, a Britbox subscription or go out and buy the DVDs, whatever, and, and and actually watch Survival. Because for all we had a laugh at it and it, and it was a bit cheesy and all the rest of it, at least it was memorable. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if it's memorable for the right reasons, but that is in the archives. People can go check out our review of the last story from Classic Who, featuring the master and the funny cat people. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, We then, we're off then to Bolivia now, and we're in a volcano. And this is where the Doctor meets the friendly Dalek. I say friendly Dalek as, as a very loose turn of phrase. Her new Dalek mate... The traitor, I guess that that yeah, Dalek gets called. Traitor Dalek, yeah. It was, yeah, very odd thing. But you you brought up earlier about the color palette of the um, of the cyber planet, and this is very much the opposite because they are in a volcano. It's all reds mm. and oranges and glowing and and very you know obviously very hot colors. Um, and it, it didn't strike me until you mentioned it, the contrast between the two and the two sides, uh, the two threats, if you like, facing that the Doctor has to solve is, is I really like it. You know, it's, it's that clear distinction in your mind that you don't consciously register until you start dissecting it like we are. Um, that might, you know, for all I know, that might be like, you know, filmmaking 101. But Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I don't care. I, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a lay person in that in those terms, and I enjoyed it now that, and I enjoy it now that I've realised it. <laughs> yeah, and with regards to being in the volcano, it's almost oh, obviously the Daleks are, are, are drilling, aren't they? We've got our big drill, which we we, we you know tick that off on your Doctor Who pod bingo cards because that pops up sometimes. Yay! And that <laughs> they're obviously making tunnels and little you know, platforms or pathways to roll about on and all this sort of stuff. And there's lava and fire and all the hot shit. There's a couple of camera angles where the way it was done, it was almost arched over them. And then you had this lava trickling, like well, not trickling, running, pouring, whatever. I got really strong Ghostbusters two vibes from when they were in the sewers and there's the river of slime. It, I don't know why, but there was just those couple of scenes. I was like, if that was pink, this could be Ghostbusters two right now. In, We've now entered Bizarro World because I ain't seen that. Have you seen the first one? Yeah. You need to watch the second one, man. You'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I wasn't blown away by the first one, to be honest. Let's move on before you and me fall out. It's my I birthday. Only, it, I don't want to argue. De- what am I right, In my defense, I didn't see the first one until I was like 24. So I have no emotional attachment to it. I can see why people enjoy it. It's just not something I'd ever run back to, but it was it was all right. I had all the Ghostbusters toys. I had the car, the figures. Um, I, I used to watch the cartoon when I was a kid. That's what my toys were of, the cartoon. You didn't have yeah. the film, yeah. And I had the, the firehouse where they lived, the HQ. And it came with a sort of can of soup or beans-sized plastic tub. And you'd pop the lid off, and it would have jelly in it, like a solid block of goo <laughs> that you tip out. And you put it on the top because it had a grid. And yeah. then it would ooze through the grid, so it looked like slime was just pouring through the house. And it was absolutely fantastic. Just the most simple thing, but little eight-year-old me thought this was amazing. Until I got it in my mum's carpet, and she went fucking mad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, until you ate it, and now you are how you are. I did eat it. I ate, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it didn't taste good. Thankfully, it wasn't toxic, so there we go. Could be worse, mate. Could be like my little brother who ate fag ash and fag ends at the ashtray back in the 80s. So that's a, there we go. But he was a strange kid. Um, <laughs> we're in the volcano anyway, next to the Ghostbusters 2 River of Slime. And we have <laughs> uh, 
cutting back and forth between two things here, I think, aren't we? Because then we're back with Tegan and Ace, and the Cyberman toy has jumped out of her bag. Mm. Very Just good. Though. A nice. That's like a little horror trope as well, which I quite like. You know, when you've got like the creepy doll that moves and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then the masters sort of hijack the video feed again, saying, "You, uh, I sent you that because." You know, I knew you'd do you'd, a gift from your precious, precious doctor. You'd keep it so close. Very clever, manipulating them using using their love for the doctor against them. I suppose very clever. Oh yeah, and then you see the Cyberman, and he says about the you know the, the tissue compression working both ways, and the Cyberman enlarging and becoming a part of releasing Cybermen, and we get a Shad, which is the the, the Cyberman from the Haunting of Villa Diodati. Mm-hmm. At, at that point. I mean, I fucking love a shadow, as we said previously. He's probably my favourite Cyberman. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, when you say favourite Cyberman, I don't know if there's that many much in the way of competition with regards to individual Cyberman. My favourite style of Cyberman. Oh, Uh, okay, right. I thought you meant like literally individual Cyberman. I've named him Toby. I've named him Stephen. That was Brian. (laughs) Brian's a bit of an arsehole, but yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked I really liked Reginald from the 1972 serial. <laughs> <laughs> um, Speaking but, of Cybermen with names, our, our hero, our Loki legend of the show, Pat Gorman, yes. who has been involved in Dan. You are the you're the guy who brought this fella to my attention, and I love the fact that he's been in so much and is behind behind the masks of so many aliens, Cybermen, whatever. We have new merch up on the website. Well, we'll put the link in the episode description and all over our social medias as well. We have a couple of t-shirts there, very much dedicated to the legend that is Pat Gorman and his roles as a Cyberman, a Silurian, and so on. So go and check those out. I'm, I'm very proud of them. So yeah, go and have a little look at that. Yeah, that one in particular does look awesome. Cracking job there. Um, oh, thank you. Back to the... Um, so yeah, I love a Shadow as a villain. And the line from the Master, which says, I killed him once, but he's forgiven me now. Basically, <laughs> and it's basically um, a shad is a clone, but again, yeah. it's not fully explained. The master's not fully explaining how he did that, but also he doesn't have an audience, so why would he? Um, but well, again, another great callback here Ace immediately knows where the guns are hidden or stored, yeah. which is so in character. And they've got the gold bullets, but they're not working. And now I know the significance of gold in the Cybermen, having only just seen it again, again in Earthshock. With regards to that, the the gold that they're shooting at them and so on, what are those tables made of? Uh, I don't know. I think they got them from New Japan Pro Wrestling. They must have, because they tip these tables up on their side, hide behind them like it's an old, you know, uh, Western. The Western. <laughs> uh, and, but the Cybermen are shooting their arm lasers at them. And these tables are like, nope. We're going to protect these two ladies. They're incredible. It's like um, it's like the sonic screwdriver uh, in the Tenant series with the uh, with Catherine Tate, where I can't remember the exact situation, but he, he utters the phrase, uh, it, "It doesn't work because it's wood," and she just, "What? Oh, it doesn't do wood." And yeah, I think that's the problem <laughs> the sad men are having. Yes, theirs don't do tables. Um, <laughs> uh, whilst all this is 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 happening. The Doctor is meeting with the Dalek and they get discovered, don't they? And by by the other Daleks and the traitor Dalek gets zapped and forced to be opened as the Doctor is trying to get this information from the traitor Dalek about how to stop what's going on. 
and the doctor's put in the casing. Now, I completely forgot about this until sure it happened. And I don't really think I like it. Okay. Elaborate. Well, the casing of a Dalek, you know, unless uh, being able to see the insides and so on, is is quite a big thing for me because it was something that we saw so rarely in classic who I tend to find we see it not, it's not regularly, but it's not as rare in new who. And then the doctor getting in the Dalek. I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't like it too. I'd have been happier for the Daleks to escort the doctor off just at gunpoint. That so, works. For me. So to my mind, in the inter- and this is just off the top of my head, in the entire run of New Who so far, this is the fourth time a Dalek's opened. It happened in the Eccleston series, an episode we covered in Dalek. Yeah. It happened with Capaldi. When uh, in one of the Capaldi episodes, when Clara was uh, when Missy put essentially put Clara in a Dalek, yes, in an empty Dalek. I had another one, and I've completely forgotten it. Oh, when was the other one? Because one I was debating was when the Doctor and I think it was Clara and a few others got shrunk down to go inside a Dalek. I don't really count that one. Okay. Uh, the other one was uh, was with Tennant when the Dalek opened to reveal the Dalek-human hybrid. Okay. That was another one. So maybe it's because it, I've watched it all, again, with, with Charlie, I'm watching it all in quick succession, aren't I? So maybe it feels yeah, more... I think it is that, because it really doesn't happen that often. Um, okay. It's... And like I said, there's previous with having Clara in there as, as protection, effectively. So why couldn't they use it for for prisoner transport? It, it's it's a bit maybe a bit improvised. But the bit that got me was rather than rather than just killing the Dalek, the the traitor Dalek, which is what you'd expect, they forced it to open and took out the creature inside. Which is an extra level of brutal for Daleks. Um, uh, just for uh, just for our good friend witticisms of Ben, they destroyed the pink squishy bit in the middle. They did. <laughs> uh, but I mean, this then does come in handy, I suppose, as the story progresses, because the Doctor is then taken to where the Master is, and we get the whole forced regeneration scene. But the Doctor is. Before before she is placed into that kind of pod kind of effort for the mm. for the force regeneration, she's held captive in that Dalek, but kind of wired up at the same time. And I thought that visual was good. I thought that aspect of it was really good. I, I think yeah. I just don't like seeing people get in and out the Daleks. I think <laughs> it, maybe that's it's what a bit it weird. Is. It is a bit weird. I'll give you that. I just want that. Um, I just I know when Daleks open, we see the squidgy, horrible no actual Dalek itself. Yeah. And then there's just like a casing and a few bits and bobs. I don't know if I want there to be more in there. And that's what lets me down. I don't you've, got to, you've got to remember the Daleks are effectively just like battle tanks. Yes. You know, it's the creature inside that's the evil bit. The organic bit is is the one yeah. controlling it. 
you know, that they, they, they aren't life forms. They're, they're like the mech suits, effectively, and life That's support true. systems. That each Dalek is like a ship, a spaceship on its own. I don't know. Yeah. It, 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 it's very easy to forget that, I think, as well. Um, no, 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 I get you. I get you. I'll tell you what, uh... I, I, have, I have a bigger problem with something that comes a little bit after this. Because when the Doctor does get transported there and he's being held, um, the Master's talking. And he, he goes through the Master's Dalek plan and the Dalek Master plan. He says, that, you know, I call it the day I kill the Doctor. But yeah. we get this great visual of the Cyber Masters who look cool as shit. The Daleks, who are iconic, as I said before, they are a British institution unto themselves. And they're there, side by side, with the Master, another of the Doctor's, well, the, the Doctor's oldest enemy, really. And the Master has to use the word fam. Mm. I despise the word fam. I mm. think it sounds shit in any circumstance. I don't like it when Jodie's doctor uses it. I don't like it when the master uses it. I think it's just... It's hard to say this without sounding like a proper snob. Um, This is my old man yells at cloud moment because it sounds beneath them. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Oh, no, you're 100% accurate i dislike it when jody whitaker's done and again it goes back to that whole the dan landing on the wormy train thingy and they're all going oh great landing dan 9.9 that's what i'm a big smile about it even though we're about to fucking die and we're getting shot at and all that sort of shit it's that same kind of vibe it's that same kind of too whimsical too chirpy too you know it's the same as going oh when she refers to it as you know Team TARDIS or my TARDIS. What it just seems uh, too it simple. Like, it feels like they were trying to capture something that happened with Tennant, where Tennant was going through words like team, squad, comrades, yeah. and stuff like that. And they, they were trying to capture a similar thing, and and just haven't haven't hit basically. Mm. Um, but at least they salvage it a little bit by saying, you know, the only thing stronger than their hatred for each other is their hatred for you. That's cool. Yeah, that's a great line. And the whole forced regeneration thing looks amazing. And the fact that this giant planet, cyber planet, with the, and the currunks and everything else, it's all drawing together. And, the, you know, these two ancient villains are, uh, are sort of coming together and just like, oh, man, it's just to force this regeneration. Mm. This is what it's all for, and this is how everything, or how, how most of it's fitting together, and again, just drawing those threads. Yeah, yeah, you're right. What happens after this, with regards to the episode in general, before we sort of get into the next couple of scenes and so on, is to me, it feels like, and we, I've used this term before, I think I may have even used it on Earthshock, to be fair. It, it feels like there's, there's quite a bit of time left. A lot of things happen, but actual really important storyline points aren't as regular. It's almost like it's built its way up to this crescendo, and all the evil and uh, the, the the master plan is is going ahead and, and so on. Mm. But then it kind of I wouldn't say it runs through it quickly to the end because it doesn't. There's still plenty of time and loads of different scenes and wonderful dialogue and so on. 
the resolution of it kind of comes around fairly quickly for me. It didn't yeah. seem it didn't seem like I maybe it's a good thing because I, I maybe it meant I was enjoying it more so I don't know but I don't know how long was left of the episode at this point twenty five oh, minutes remember. maybe whatever yeah, maybe. I don't know but it didn't feel like that long from this moment to seeing the regeneration at the end. Mm. Yeah, quick. yeah, I think but I think that's one of the things where so much happens that. It just it feels like quicker than it is again, like a, like a good wrestling match. You know, I've watched matches where like forty minutes long that's felt like ten. Mm, yeah, um, but one thing I did like in here, the the master playing uh, the song Rasputin uh, oh. to reveal the conversion machine. It was like uh, like John Sim uh, <laughs> revealing the toppler for him. <laughs> it's so good, and I this is something that we both wax lyrical about with our initial reaction show to this. And how much we loved it, and so on. It's even better this time around because I knew it was coming, so I'm yeah. waiting for it. But <laughs> also, if you remember the first time round, I said about the, the song Rasputin. You know, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a tune, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, and I said to you, have you heard the Turasas version? That the heavy metal sort of Viking metal band Turasas did a cover version of this, and you said no. I'd be really intrigued to hear that. And I said, no problem. As soon as we finish recording, I'll send you a link. I have not done that. And this was... <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, after we finish recording, I will send you a link to the Tour Assass version. And I'd forgotten as well, so, you know, it's fine. Uh, but the, nope. I know we picked up on this first time as well. It's it's the managed to get Cybermasters and Daleks to give each other a look of what the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and the whole fast regeneration scene it's a great throwback to Troughton but done this way it, it's so again so cinematic and so cool and I can't remember if I made this comparison the first time round but the again fast regeneration effectively came into it in the movie with Paul McGann because the master was forcing the doctor to give up his lives and, and, and the master was taking his body it's the same plot which just proves that frame the right, right way that the Doctor Who movie is good. Well, actually, the Doctor Who movie, I, I put something out on Twitter um, as at time of recording, maybe a week ago, Dan, two weeks ago, potentially, asking for people's thoughts on what classic Who would be a good standalone story to show Charlie. Yeah. Because I've got her to agree to watch some classic Who with me. So I've got to pick one story. It can't be black and white because I'll lose her. It can't be too <laughs> long because I'll lose her. It, it, it's kind of it's got to be something that makes go okay i would like to see more of that it's quite a big decision and i ruled out the movie because i don't count it as classic who i count it as its own standalone thing mm. but the movie always just keeps popping back in my head when i've got to sit her down and make her watch this because i think she will love that it's it's old without being too old mm. it's a, a light introduction to to more classic who you've got sylvester mccoy You've got the relationship between the Doctor and the Master. It, it, it's what hooked me in. So it could work, yeah. Yeah, I, I think definitely the Master... She, she has already said she, she wants to watch the movie with me. That's mm. separate to the, the classic Who thing. So we'll sit down and watch the movie. And I think we're settling upon Terror of the Autons. Okay. I that we reviewed for the show. <laughs> we have. We, we, not Autons, sorry. Zygons. All right, fair enough, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the, so, the terrifying uh, uh, fucked up Chihuahua monster. Yeah, because um, she knows Sarah Jane already from um, Tenant's era. 
she's familiar with the the bad guys of the scene from from New Who, and she likes the look of Tom Baker when she looks at my my action figures or or whatever stood up on my desk. So mm. I've kind of think that's the way we're going to go. But that's a tale for another day. I apologise. We digress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here. Although so the Doctor is being forced to regenerate into the Master after this fantastic dance scene along to Rasputin. It's so... It's so ridiculously funny and silly and daft. It almost works in the opposite way of all of those things because it makes this really horrific thing that this, this individual is going to do. Mm. And they throw this really sort of toe-tapping 70s disco theme in. And it's light-hearted and silly and it made me laugh and so on but it almost makes him appear more evil because he's having a bit of a boogie before doing this horrible thing. Yeah, he's having a good time while being this twat, basically. He's evil. <laughs> yeah. Evil bastard, you know. It's, yeah, it, yeah, it makes it more effective. And, and when you see him say, I am the Doctor, and they, you know, got all Jodie's outfit on and everything like that, and then telling Yaz to come along and essentially to be his companion, it's, it's sick in the head. And then he said, don't make me ask twice. I wouldn't want to have to cut you down to size. I like that line. Mm. That was clever. very creepy. And then we get the, the bit with Ace that we've already mentioned and the jacket and all that. And love that she's got the bat as well that she's stashed. Mm. Brilliant stuff. Yes. Um, Yaz then does a runner, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. It's we get quite a, we get quite a lot sort of in between because the master the master doctor, as I put it, um, has mocked Yaz's post. It's for flying the TARDIS and, and has like a little regeneration burp and, and says that the TARDIS is mounting a dirty protest and and bits and pieces like that. But he's just watching two planets just firing at each other in this like interplanetary war, and that's when you notice his outfit. Oh, Trout, yeah. Trouton's, oh Trouton's trousers and recorder, Baker's scarf, Davison's celery, McCoy's sweater vest, Jodie's jacket. It's incredible. It's, it's fantastic. I would not I would not be upset if a future version of the Doctor wore that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't either. I'd be really happy. So we we then see Jodie Whittaker's Doctor in this kind of weird almost wasteland cliffy desert area wandering about Dan don't we yeah it's just some sort of desolate environment where it, it feels like it might be on a planet but also not quite right yeah exactly exactly and this is where we see the old doctors and yeah. I know I know you will get a massive kick out of seeing Paul McGowan loved it I loved it I look, I'm looking at him thinking we could have him back for a mini series. We could, you know, we, we could have him back to fill in just a few episodes going into the time war. We could. Oh yeah, I'd watch that definitely. I'd love it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's not just he that we see. It's well, the first Doctor. The do you know what? Obviously, Triton isn't around anymore. Pertwee's not around anymore, and Tom Baker is quite the old man, and and so on. Mm. But it does feel like there was a big chunk missing because we get all of the classic Doctors plus the movie Doctor. But two, three, and four are gone. They're yeah, it's it's not ideal. But I think it kind of has to be that way to a degree because Hartnell, William Hartnell's Doctor is the only one that they've recast. And especially the only one that they've recast in recent times with, uh, with David Bradley. 
playing him. Yes. And and not just once either. It's been it's been multiple times, and and even in the documentary uh, that was made around the fiftieth anniversary, David Bradley played William Hartnell playing the Doctor. Yeah. Uh, in that, so I think that's why they had to do it, and then they don't have. I think one one sort of look alike, if you if you like, is fine. I think if they were to try and recast Troughton and Pertwee. Then that would probably be just a, a step too far, and it'd start feeling derivative. Um, the it, it doesn't explain why we don't see Eccleston or Smith or Capaldi, yeah. and obviously we don't we don't see Tennant for obvious reasons because he's you know because he, he comes back later on. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I can I can see the logic, but it still feels a bit strange. Yeah, but it's still at the same time, freaking awesome, isn't it? Yeah, and, and particularly with Paul McGann because I was just happy that McGann got his fifteen-minute crossover into John Hurt into the War Doctor, but to see him actually get proper screen, a proper screen time, as it were, I think is fabulous because it, uh, you can, I suppose, you can kind of say that he is my Doctor. Yeah, because he was in the movie and he was the first one, you know, the first person I saw get any any major screen time. Um, and even the fact that the doctors are just bickering between themselves as the transform, and the transitions <laughs> between them is fantastic. You know, saying, "I think it's." Um, I think Jodie asks, "Why aren't you wearing, you know, wearing robes?" And he says, "You know, says I, I don't, I don't do robes." And McCoy's like, "There's always one." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just funny. made me happy. McCoy was. It's funny because McCoy was the last one to appear in this little, you know, sort of segment. You, you had Hartnell, and then Colin Baker had quite a few lines, and obviously McGann was there, but we've seen McGann recently anyway with regards to going into the uh, the War Doctor and that little mini-episode and all that sort of stuff. I say mm. recently, it was years ago, but at the same time, it's not like, you know, it's not like seeing Colin Baker, for example. <laughs> within, within the last decade. <laughs> yes. And then Sylvester McCoy popped up. Now, I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, oh my God, that's... Peter Davidson, that's Colin Baker. That's Paul McGann. Oh, this is amazing. And then as soon as McCoy popped up, that was it. And again, to use a wrestling term, I marked out. It was just, I got a massive buzz out of that. It's a funny thing with Sylvester McCoy as well. As he's got older and his voice has changed, he's actually got a bit more of a presence. Mm. And I don't know how that works. It's just very odd, isn't it? <laughs> Especially with his, you know, the delivery of the lines here. I think, you know, the grave sort of a grave importance of everything. He, I thought he really played that very well. Um, and we get the, the over-excessive rolling of the R's, don't we, which is always a McCoy thing. Yeah, it's it's just glorious, isn't it? And the fact that the Doctor's effectively having a conversation with themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just really, they say, you know, it's, you know, the, the same vestiges of your consciousness. And then it's McCoy who says fragments of yourself from the past. It is. Oh, God. <laughs> it is great. It is great. Uh, effectively, the, the, this place is like somewhere where you pass through or like you cross over to to complete your regeneration, effectively, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And, and I really like that idea that the there has to be a literal passing over, essentially, to, to pass the torch on, on to the next Doctor. And they make a big thing, which is a... Um, which is a sort of a particularly a new trip of the body being weak just after mm. uh, regeneration. So 
nothing's quite finished. I think we saw it with Capaldi in the in in Heaven Sent. I was it. I always forget what we did if we did Hellbent or Heaven Sent. Um, I think it was Heaven Sent where it takes a long time for a Time Lord to actually die. Yes. So it kind of makes sense that it would that it follow on for the consciousness to die as well. Mm. Um, and the, the Doctor's former selves are effectively looking over this and saying, oh, no, 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 you, you stick around because something needs to happen now. We, we cannot have this happen. But then yeah. it all goes, it, it does the thing that you, that you mentioned as well here. We have this fantastic scene where we see all the old Doctors were having a jolly old nostalgia trip. And then we get the hologram and it's Jodie appearing to Yaz. Now, we've seen the Doctor as a hologram before. And it's the first time was with Eccleston when he thought it was going to be exterminated and he sent Rose back in the TARDIS. Then he did a hologram video saying that, you know, if you're hearing this, I'm about, I'm dead or about to die. This TARDIS can never fall into the, you know, into wrong hands, blah, 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 blah. And it really sells the importance of it. Jodie Whittaker's Dr. True to character, I suppose, just pops in and says, if you're seeing this, I'm dead. It was a bad start. Yeah, it's a bit. Again, it, it's another example of the Dan hitting that landing. Nine point nine, everyone grins. Yeah, it's a serious moment. It's a lot. Of, oh, dark isn't the right term, but it's very. It's very tense, I guess. Is, is mm. maybe the word that I could use. And then we get that kind of kooky. Uh, I get. I mean, the, and no disrespect to anyone, you know, Birmingham and above, but that kind of northern accent leads into a more kind of cheeky chappy-esque sort of vibe as well, I think, which which hinders Jodie Whittaker's Doctor in certain scenarios, maybe. Uh, I'm trying not to take that personally. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it in a bad way in life. I yeah. just mean Jodie Whittaker. Uh, we just spoke about Sylvester McCoy's voice mm-hmm. and how it's changed as he's got older. And it makes him have more of a presence and things are when he's explaining what's going on and making his comments, they have more gravitas to them, more importance to them. Jodie Whittaker already, I feel, has a bit of a hindrance because just by the nature of being a lady, her voice is higher. So you haven't got that kind of, you know, booming commanding essence to it her character is always not i don't want to say whimsical but it's quite light-hearted in the face of some danger i mean mm-hmm. you, you, i go back to eccleston for example and in, in the episode we we uh, reviewed dalek the fear the shouting the yelling works so well with that because it wasn't because it was a moment where the doctor was genuinely scared jody whitaker's mm-hmm. doctor i don't think tends to have many of those moments and I'm not sure if it'd be able to pull it off as well as previous incarnations anyway. And then you add the accent as well. I think things that she can't help, I think make certain situations that are supposed to be quite tense feel a bit lighter than mm-hmm. they would do. And then when the writing is written in the way it is, it literally cuts her off at the knees, I think. It doesn't yeah. help with regards to the issues she's already got, maybe. Yeah, I think issues like being a lady or having a lighter voice or whatever or an accent is an issue in life. It's not, of course not. But in this certain situation, when the writing is already a little bit giggly, silly, mm. you notice yeah, we've, so, maybe. We've said a lot that the, the writing has hampered Jodie Whittaker. 
Um, and, it, and it absolutely has. And, and this is a, this is another point of it. And it would have been nice to have seen Jody be given the chance as the doctor to express that side of the doctor. And it feels very much like a conscious decision to have this doctor deflect with humour or use this these sort of affectations and, and seeming sort of scatterbrainness, if you like, to mm-hmm. to try and deflect into just head down plow on yeah which i'm kind of getting and to be honest from the accent point of view you know thinking particularly about sylvester mccoy here you know it's like fragments of, of yourself from the part from you know for fragments of yourself from the past and um, it doesn't quite work if it's fragments of this end from past <laughs> this is true this is true <laughs> yeah but to be fair you look on emmerdale there's plenty of bad guys on there and and female characters that are nasty, horrible people on there, and it works. Yeah, potentially. I've not watched Emmerdale since the nineties, so. Mm. <laughs> well, there we, go. Uh, <laughs> we cut back then. To... Uh, we, we, we missed a bit because we, we got it, um, an explanation of the static shocks. And finally, oh yes, yes. An, an, another another <laughs> another thread. Yeah, another thread uh, pulling together uh, in basically implanting companions with this program to have the hologram appear to them and then we're, we're flying the TARDIS to Vinda to enlist his help and asking the AI to reverse force generation and one little touch with the AI that I thought was great that uh, Yaz asked that question the AI isn't aware of how the Doctor died mm. but you see the fa- the interface the faces of the Doctor change as the AI is processing that information mm. I thought that was really cool and then we're Very right back into the shooty bang bang we are, and effectively we have unit is is it's got kind of I suppose self destruct lockdown kind of plan to it, hasn't it? Yeah, like uh, a last resort sort of thing. Yes. It's 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 been converted to a cyber conversion center, which is pretty uh, pretty last resort. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean you wouldn't want that popping up on your estate, would you? You know, that would be something that in the council meetings people would object to, you know? I wouldn't be happy about it. It'd, it'd certainly drive the local housing prices down. It would indeed. <laughs> and Ace and Tegan at this point, they, they were supposed to be fighting their way to the reef to effectively parachute to their escape, I guess. I was going to say safety, but that, that the point doesn't apply in this scenario because there's so much going on. But it was almost their escape, wasn't it? Mm. Tegan decides that I suppose a, a sort of twinge of guilt to her. She thinks that she's responsible for the Cyberman arriving because she's yeah. the one who bought the Cyberman Russian doll where all the Cybermen emerged from earlier on in the episode. So she goes back to help Kate help. Did, help did you did talking. you clock Tegan's reasoning though? Go on. When she said she spent 30 years li- living as a nomad trying to help people. I've seen off landmines, coup, <laughs> two husbands and I was an, and I was an air hostess in the 80s. Yes. <laughs> Don't leave that big. <laughs> oh, but you know cool. what? She she's right. Yeah. Uh, Ace does get to the top of the building, and after a little self pep talk, I guess, because when you get on top of that ledge and you look down, I imagine it is a case of yeah, maybe this isn't a good idea, but it's something she has to do. Yeah. The, she old, jumps... the old ring piece of be nippy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Ace jumps, opens the parachute. Um, again, it looks absolutely spectacular seeing this character falling and the parachute opens. Cybermen see her, shoot holes in the parachute. 
So naturally, it's not going to work as well. Obviously, a parachute with holes in kind of sucks. Yeah. And we hear the TARDIS noise, and she kind of parachutes into the doors. And I thought that was really, again, as a visual, really, really well done. And the way it she just kind awesome. of dropped, they literally, literally dropped onto their lap, I guess. Yeah, just absolutely fantastic. Just ace, like just flying and sort of just. Just ended up sort of just skidding on her ass and on her back into yes. the uh, into the control room. Um, just yeah, what a visual! It reminded me of um, River Song jumping off the, uh, so not jumping off, um, blasting away out of the uh, the ship in one of the Matt Smith uh, two parters. Yeah, and, and just being, being caught by the TARDIS there, and he's wait, he's literally waiting to capture. Um, but what what a, what a very ace thing to do. Oh, we've had like, we have the jacket yeah. on and the back. Yeah, oh, it's and bloody and, great. And then the first thing she does, she just takes Ollie Strand. She looks at the Yaz flying the TARDIS, and she thinks it's brilliant. But she's also a bit annoyed that she never got to. <laughs> um, and it's just, it kind of because sort of just a, sort of on a wider point as well. I love this kind of thing because it's like in recent years you've had in movies you've had Jamie Lee Curtis come back to the Halloween franchise and. Mm-hmm essentially is this sort of doomsday prepper waiting for Michael Myers to return and real like woman of action. You've had Linda Hamilton come back to Terminator and kick wholesale ass in Terminator. And it's great to see Tegan and Ace doing the same thing in, in Doctor Who. Um, yeah, you know, loving it. yeah, absolutely loving it. Um, and just, yeah, just a great, like sort of past and present just joining and, mm. Did you? Then the first thing Yaz says to her is, "How would you feel about me dropping you in a Bolivian volcano so that you can stop the Daleks from flooding Earth with lava?" What I mean, you know, that great question. Yeah, uh, I mean that's how I open most of my conversations. Yeah. And Ace just looks at her, takes the bat out of a bag, and just says, "Wicked." Yeah, it is. It is superb, isn't it? It's so good. I do worry though that um, when you do finally watch this with with Charlie, she, she's going to watch it and just go, "That is so cheesy." Nobody says "wicked." <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, it felt out of place for me watching it now, but the character of Ace kind of bridged that gap for me. You know, yeah. if anyone oh, yeah, else, yeah, yeah, if anyone else said it, I'd be like, nah. but with Ace, it was like, "Yeah, signed." <laughs> yeah, but again, it goes back to what I was saying before. Ace is still Ace. If, you know, all these, you know, all the years on, all the, you know, whatever she must have been going through and, and things she's done and everything, like she's still the same person. Yeah, and you almost get the, I suppose, peeling back of what she has become in this episode. Because the first time you see her, her hair's all done in a certain way. She's wearing a suit and mm. she's very official. And then the next time you see her, she's in unit and again acting as an advisor to unit and so on and very official in the suit and the hair and all this sort of stuff and as the episode goes on you start to see her slowly sort of head back into the ace that we know and love from the 80s the hair gets tied back the jacket comes out the the way she even carries herself and the way she talks changes back into what she used to be and oh i love it. it it's so subtle in a way but brilliantly done. Really, really one of the one of the high points for me. Absolutely loved it, and, and just the way now we're you know we're, we're getting all these story threads put together, but we're seeing Yaz like weave her own plot as well. Yeah, because she's retrieved Ace, she's got Vinder, she goes back for the Master, who's just sat there playing Patrick Trout's recorder, 
and acting all contrived. That is, oh, what a touch that was. Yeah, I, I missed that first time as well. Um, but I absolutely loved it. And now she's got Vinda lurking in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Which, again, you know, it's like this sort of subterfuge of the Master's plan with her own sort of genius scheme. Ah, it, it's a great sort of... It's all, it feels almost like a chess match at this point between Yaz slash the Doctors and the Doctor AI and, and and the Master. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And whilst all this is going on, of course, Ace is heading to Bolivia, or is in Bolivia, I guess, in the in the volcano. Ah, and... but, but first we've got Tegan. Oh my goodness! Yes, with the hologram. Oh, how did I forget that? One I mean, of the I best say, how bits of the episode. That? How did I forget that? I'm a knobhead. It's literally written down in front of me. So I've not forgotten <laughs> it. I've just been a moron. You've done exactly <laughs> what I did earlier on. Yeah. Um, uh, that rea- that interaction with Peter Davidson's doctor, the way they explain it away as well is that, you know, the AI is acting to give them the most recognisable doctor to them and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, I like that because it... Again, it's a good narrative device to keep the Doctor's face changing and, and get the uh, get the older cast back. Very clever, and um, um, you know, they they kind of they kind of reminisce, but not in a cuddly way. It, and they touch upon stuff that happened to Tegan's initial run, and there's anger there on Tegan's part, which of mm-hmm. course there always was. She was a very angry, shouty character anyway, I guess. But Peter Davidson's Doctor, you know. And just the line coming out of, you know, Braveheart, Tegan. It, it, oh, it was just perfect, wasn't it? But the thing is, it starts off with Tegan being Tegan and just not having a filter. Yes. When she says she says to the doctor, you, to Peter Davison, you look, you sort of look like you, but not quite. And like, what? Okay. <laughs> Rude. And the Davison's response. Yeah, I could say the same about you. And she, but she won't be, you know, she's still going to say, I'm surprised you remember. And oh. it, then, then it all sort of softens because Peter Davison, and I'm noticing this in the ones we watch for the show, he, he really, his face is excellent at communicating when he's feeling emotional. It's quite a subtle switch. But you know when Clara refers to the Doctor as having those big sad eyes? Yes. I, I understand what I understand what she means when Davison's on screen because he really does, because he has this sort of, you can almost see like his Adam's apple drop a little bit. And his face almost not drops, but it almost relaxes. And he he, yeah. he he does it here and he says, You really think I never thought of you again? I never forget any of you. I remember everything. And oh. that's that's like a, like a knife in the heart because you know the, the doctor lives for so long and has, has loved and lost so many people that it you know it must be a hell of a burden to carry. But that sort of doesn't quite soften Tegan, and she's just like, "Yeah, well, what, what am I? Th- well, what am I thinking? Seeing all these Cybermen?" And he says, "Adric." Oh. And even though we do not like the character, the way Adric died, and the fact that the Doctor couldn't do anything to prevent it, mm. is a fairly bit. And, and and the amount of hate the character gets online, and, and that he's never really referenced. I think you said at the time that it was. It, 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 it's a big deal, and now that I've seen Adric, I get it fully. I yeah. really do understand it. 
Yeah, it, it was. It's funny that we're, t- we're recording this because we're kind of recording a bit out of order for the end of this this season of the show. Yeah. It's funny that it's worked out that we're recording this straight after recording Earthshock, so you get that reference sort of back to back almost. Mm. Yeah, and I'll just yeah. again weirdly because Adric was a little prick mm-hmm. in that episode in the Earthshock, but you get that between those two characters and knowing knowing how it affected them both and having seen it play out, it, it made it even better. Yes. I, I would go as far as to say and yes I think this is influenced by my dislike of the character I'm not going to hide behind it I would go as far as to say that Peter Davidson here in 2022 just saying the name Adric to Tegan is the most important and enjoyable aspect of Adric's whole run in Doctor Who <laughs> <laughs> I'll reserve judgment till I've seen it all, but I can quite yeah. believe it. Um, and yeah, they, they just they have this, you know, it's a lovely reunion, and like you said, the now brave heart, and and did you have this? I missed you, and like missed you too. Now please don't get killed. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's so, so sweet, good. and and then you know, Tegan looking down that elevator shaft, like no fucking thank you. No. Um, but after that really nice sort of scene. We're in with with the now we're with Ace because the Daleks have finished drilling to the tectonic plate, and Ace is having like a moment of self doubt where it feels like she's talking to the Doctor. Yes, but obviously the Doctor isn't there, but she mentions that she souped up the Nitro Nine, so she's still tinkering with this explosive. <laughs> oh, she's later now. Oh, like, oh, it's so good. Go on, Ace. You, she's just but she's Ace. And it's just fantastic. Jodie Whittaker appearing as the hologram and calling it Nitro 999. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. And oh, I, I, you don't mind if I take the reins for this bit, do you? No, I'll, please I'll, do. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I, my, my thoughts on this, I think people are going to be, because they're play, plainly obvious, I think. People don't want to hear that because it's, it's, it'd be repeating what I've already said. Hearing yeah. your thoughts about this, I think, would be more important. I, I loved it. And I, I mentioned on on our first episode, on, on this ep- on this episode, that I really loved the fact that Ace and, and the Doctor got to have a resolution on screen and got to make up and, and, and all of that. Um, but it, again, with an, another sort of season's worth of Doctor Who behind me and time to sort of mull over and, and ruminate on the subject, again, I adore it even more. I really do. And, you know, but Ace, again, she's there been reverting back to type a little bit, saying, so it's fine for me to blow things up when you decide nothing's changed. <laughs> and that um, was a running theme in, in the McCoy era as well. Yeah. He, he would say to her, you saw that Nitro 9. And uh, Ace would respond to McCoy's doctor like, oh, right, it's okay to use it now, is it? Because he would tell her off all the time. So it's literally just going right back to that that, that era. Yeah, and it's glorious. And then Jodie changes to Sylvester McCoy. And I got, obviously, because McCoy was in the movie, I did have some attack, you know, a little bit of attachment to him. Yes. Um, but saying it's never fine to blow stuff up. So sometimes, sadly, it's the only solution, but only after a fair warning. And Ace hasn't quite grasped what she, what she sees, because now it's getting freaky. And, you know, there's a bit, sort of, bit of comic relief there, but then it gets back into the... The serious stuff, mm-hmm. and it, it it was a very and then the, the doctor alluded says that as much as it was almost like a father daughter situation because he was only ever trying to teach her good habits yeah. and he, he feels like he failed. 
And she said, you never failed me, Professor. You made me the person I am today. I'm sorry we fell out. I'm sorry we, I'm sorry I judged you. I didn't understand the burden you carried. And so we don't know the specifics of the falling out unless it's referencing some of the big finish. Um, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Things. And he has the, <laughs> the it's just, again, just a really sweet lump in your throat resolution where McCoy's saying, you know, all, all children leave home sooner or later. The joy is to watch them fly. Oh. And she says, so we're good. And he says, we're more than good. We're ace. But he does it in that sort of group, kind of deep rumbling Sylvester McCoy <laughs> <laughs> sort of tone that we've got. He's like, we're ace. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. That's <laughs> oh, so good. I, when we watched this the first time around, you had a few beers inside yourself. Um, I'd also had a few cans myself as well. And we both got a bit emotional on certain moments of this story. And yeah. we were, we, you know, we openly admitted it on our last recording uh, about this, this particular tale. And one of the things we wanted to look at for our proper breakdown of this now was, does it still hit emotionally in the same way as when we were both kind of half cut? And <laughs> the thing is, before we get into that, I don't think it can because we're always more inclined to be emotional after a, after a skinful. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll be honest, mate. My, my eyes welled up a bit with Tegan, Peter Davidson, yeah. and then when we had Ace and McCoy, I was gone. That was yeah. it. I was gone. <laughs> I was, I was, I, I'm not, I'm not a not a blubber if you want to put it that way. You know, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm not a, I, I'm incredibly rarely break down you know, crying or anything like that, but I'm very much a, if, if I shed a tear, it's really got to me. Mm. And I was, I could, <laughs> either someone was chopping onions or my eyes were moistening. <laughs> Those damn allergies. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was beautiful and it, it really does work. And, you know, watching it sober, um, you know, what is it, three months later, two, three months later now, it's, it is still very, it's still incredible. And just the closure you get for both companions and the remembrance of Adric and and all of that, it's, it's just hitting so many points that I've wanted to see hit, even in my very limited viewing of, of both of those Doctors. But again, this, this is what sort of ties back into the point I was sort of bumblingly trying to make earlier on. I watch this and other Classic Who fans watch this, and yourself, who's, who's you know watching Classic Who and so on now, and, and you know what you're on about yourself, we've got that link. Mm. And these are probably the two of the biggest and best and most important moments of this episode mm. because of the nostalgia and the closure for these characters and how emotional it is knowing their history. If Charlie sat and watched this, or other younger fans who have only seen New Who and have no, not seen any classic Who, mm. they wouldn't be able to pick up on that, I don't feel. And then I, this, sorry. Then, I think then they might miss out on what makes those moments so, so big. I disagree, because I think it's, I think we've criticised a lot of the Whitaker writing, and, and, and rightly so, but now I'm going to praise it, because... Okay. I th- I think these two interactions are written in such a way that you could have no knowledge 
of what went on before. And bear in mind, when I watched this, I didn't, I didn't have, even have as much knowledge as, as I do now. And what I have now is relatively meagre. Um, I think it's written that it well enough that you can pick up on the the gist of the conversations and the performances in in both of those little scenes are done in oh, such okay. a way that you that you can pick up on the context of the situation and that the words that are spoken and that this is something big for these people obviously it will then won't have the impact as it does for somebody with the historical and emotional attachment to the characters but i still think those scenes are good enough to stand on their own for for a new fan oh brilliant okay interesting well i hope you're right i hope that's, i hope that's correct completely see where you're coming from as well yeah like i say obviously it's never going to have the same effect without that nostalgia factor and without that attachment but mm. i still think that it's uh, that it's well enough done um and i am assuming that you absolutely adored the next bit what when graham shows up with the psychic paper Yes, and <laughs> Graham Holmes just like, oh, first of all, what the fuck's he doing in Bolivia just in the middle of a volcano? That was a bit random. But well, it, again, it, this is one of those ones where I don't give a shit how Graham turned up because I forgot, forgot he turned up as well. Okay, um, right, okay. So I was like, Graham's here, brilliant, and he's got the psychic paper, and I, again, I'm, you know, I've popped and I'm, I'm, I'm all happy, and I just, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. Sorry, mate, you, you carry on. Yeah, well, well, with regards to forgetting things, I've got the opposite in, in a moment. I, I imagined or remembered something that didn't even happen. So we'll get to that in just a second. Okay. <laughs> but Graham turns up in the in the volcano. They virtually bump into each other, Ace and Graham. And Graham yeah. flashes the psychic paper and says he's there. I can't even remember what he said he was there for, his reasoning. Oh, okay, I didn't write it down, but he's, he's, just, he's got his backstory. Oh, yeah, that's for, it. For Ace <laughs> and Ace read. Ace can see straight through it and says, oh, Graham, bus driver, um, wondering what these Daleks are doing here. And all this sort of, he's slightly yeah. scared. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> but what I love as well, Graham is such a rich, he's such a wholesome character, as I've said before, that he doesn't know Ace's past. He's not necessarily been, for, been filled in on who she is because there's yeah. not been time. And he's trying to explain what's going on, but not freak her out. You know, explain about the Daleks and the drilling and all that. And then Ace, Ace has another great line. Great line. So she says, "I know. Want to see? I dealt with them in 1963." And Graham being Graham, 1963. How old are you? <laughs> she just looks back and like a gentleman never asks, especially on the first day. And now I want a Graham and Ace spin-off. Yeah, it could work as well, mate. You know, age-wise, there's only what 18 months between them, something like that. Something like that. But it's when she says, "It's when she says I'm Ace," and they walk off, and he just goes, "Yes, you are." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Easy, Graham, down, boy. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, this this then comes to what I was talking about earlier on with regards to, I suppose, if you if you're reviewing something like this, what happens from now until we get to the two big emotional scenes at the end? are effectively bullet points, aren't they, that sort of tie up the loose ends and get yeah. through get through the story. But before we hit that, I had a, I suppose they call it a Mandela effect? Uh, Mandela effect is when it's when it's widely, it, it's, it's something that believe, that's believed to have happened by, like, like globally. Like, okay. a lot of people think that Nelson Mandela died in prison in 1998. Yes. yes. So that's, okay. what, that's what it's named after. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I had like a, a 
I just fucking remembered wrong then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless you're going to say you thought there was um, like a, a, a some sort of like planet of Daleks doing something because I did the same thing and that's from one of the other specials. No, no, it, I I've, I thought, but the Cybermen here basically when we cut back to uh, another sort of story part, the story arc that is taking place, mm. the Cybermen by this stage have, have got Kate. She is yes. trying to buy time for people to escape and bar- bargain for the lives of soldiers that are being converted into Cybermen by offering herself up. She's got military secrets and all this knowledge. She's um, somebody that could be an asset to the Cybermen. And they grab her, take her down below, and they're basically going to convert her and all this sort of stuff. Now, I would have put money. I would have put my whole next month's rent. <laughs> on the character of Kate Stewart dying in this episode. (laughs) I was adamant. And every time I've seen Kate pop up in New Who, as I'm watching back with Charlie, because she's prominent, I think, Matt Smith and Capaldi, she pops up in a few times as well. Yeah. Every time I see her, I'm like, ah, it's a shame she's not in it anymore. Because I could have sworn she dies. Um, no, uh, she no, was, I know. she was close to death in Capaldi's era mm. because she, uh, she got kicked out of a plane, I think, or something like that. But it was the one where the, where the Missy had converted all the dead bodies to yes. side men looking about the ground. And it was alluded to that her dad, uh, the Cyberman version of her father's corpse, uh, which is sweet, but creepy. Yeah, so he gets the salute from the doctor at the end, so that's what the matters. That, it, it, that was weirdly touching, wasn't it? Yes. Anyway. It was indeed. <laughs> it was. But yeah, I could have sworn that she died here. I thought this no. was it. I thought the Cybermen were going to kill her. But no. how they get, close, they get close to killing Tegan when she slips and just at the point of Shad's walking past and he has this really awesome, like, just renegade human in the walls. <laughs> Brilliant. And there's not many situations where you can use that turn of phrase, I don't think. No, no, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake! You kind of, you just kind of broke my brain then, because I mean, as soon as you said that, I was like, right, challenge accepted. I've got nothing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's all kicking off in unit. Kate's going to get turned into a Cyberman, and here's where the volcanoes effectively get set off. Yeah, pretty much about that time, and he has. Is talking shit to the to the master, and he decides it's time for her execution. Mm-hmm. And Yas says to him, "If you're so much better than me, why didn't you see her coming?" And he walks the uh, Ruth, who was a character in, in Whitaker's uh, season before Flux, who it turns out is a previous version of the Doctor, yes. the, the version of the Doctor that's locked away. But the master doesn't recognise Ruth because he doesn't know her. And she gets to, I'm the doctor, mate. Who the hell are you? <laughs> I'm the doctor, mate. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, and what, bitch? <laughs> oh, it was It was brilliant. It was brilliant. The Cybermen yeah. then surround uh, Ruth and all sort of blasting at her. But because she's a hologram, <laughs> they basically just butcher themselves. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's another classic one. That is a microcosm of how the doctor saved Gallifrey. Yes. By, yes. know, by trapping it in the in the time cube, and then Vinda comes. You know what was it? Um, 
seeing that outthought by the doctor getting the machine and Vinder's holding the master at gunpoint and the master gambles on Vinder not using the gun because he's one of the doctor's friends Vinder just wings him and you know shoots him in the arms and says, I'm freelance <laughs> badass that was that yeah was it was awesome. mint it was so mint and we get the usual thing of you know Yaz talking up the doctor's greatest asset being friends and power of friendship stuff and all that but then the cyber masters start regenerating mm-hmm and to put the master back in the machine and we get sort of a, we get a secondary, like, well, Jodie, Jodie Whittaker, when she wakes up, calls it forced degeneration. Yes. Reverse, I suppose. Which, in a weird way, hearing that back makes the end of this episode make more sense to me and I'm not sure I picked up on it the first time. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, you know, forced degeneration, but, there was no way that they could know how much regeneration energy to use. So how far back does the forced degeneration go? Right, and that's maybe why what happens happens. Maybe, yeah, because it's it's a forced degeneration followed by a fatal fatal gunshot or you know wound, whatever. But it's a nice blast from the currents, isn't it? Um, so what's to say that you know that isn't why? instead of regenerating, it went in the opposite direction. Mm, yeah, okay. Look at you, you smarty little bastard. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> uh, the reversal, the forced regeneration happens, and we see Jodie Whittaker now wearing all the old Doctor's clothes. That's brilliant. <laughs> what, am I, what, what did I miss? What am I wearing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely superb. Um, Tegan here is then trying to cut out the uh, the power that the Cybermen are using to fuel their evil factory, I guess, Dan? Yeah, and, and what a great little nugget of we will be able to throw in to say that the hologram is using Tegan's optical nerve to scan and process the equipment. Yeah. Now, I like that because it would have been very easy just to throw it away and say, for the hologram to say, do that. But we actually, it takes the second, you know, two seconds to... Fill it to fill in that little blank that's just a really nice little touch, but the mm. drama as well of the Cyberman grabbing Tegan through the wall mm. is awesome. And I have just thought of another instance where you could use the uh, this the line rogue uh, renegade human in the walls, uh, in uh, in the Matrix when uh, when Morpheus is doing the same thing. Ah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so I have seen that. It, it took me a minute, but I got there. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I never lost faith. I never lost faith. Uh, <laughs> um, Ace and Graham are now killing off a shed ton of Daleks, aren't they? They're, they're, and whilst also trying to figure out a way of getting away, I guess, and they escape when the TARDIS appears. As Graham puts it, uh, sort of where's the quote I had? So Ace has just beaten up a Dalek with a bat and Graham's planted the explosives. And he says, once this sort of goes up, we've got to get to the surface, get past a load of Andrew, angry Daleks, and I've got to get out of here alive. Um, <laughs> which is just a brilliant... When it's delivered by Bradley Walsh, it's just it's so good. Yeah. But the Doctor picks them up, and the reuni- you know, reuniting with Graham is brilliant. But then you, you cut to the outside, and we see the volcano erupting and taking out the Daleks who are trying to get away. Oh, that was so cool. Yeah, killed the Daleks. 
with a volcano. That feels like somebody had that idea years ago. We're just like, I want that in Doctor Who. I want that in Doctor yeah. Who. I want that in Doctor Who. Like, fine, we're doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> Will it stop you going on if we do it in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Brian, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Tegan and Kate now are in the TARDIS. And I suppose everyone's heading back to this planet now, aren't they? That's kind of where we're at, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Kate and Tegan, yeah, Kate and Tegan escape Unit HQ just as it collapses, and uh, the Doctor sort of looks at it and remind me never to never mess with either of you. And Tegan just again, just a masterful gobshite, just says, "I thought that was a given." And yes, I would like to go in the TARDIS. <laughs> oh, so good. The Master though is. I suppose coming around, crawling across the floor. He's, you know, he's he's not dead yet. Mm. Um, on the planet, the Doctor basically fixes Vinda's ship, and I enjoyed this because the old goggles came out from her very first episode. Yeah, she was working on stuff. That that was a nice little touch. And effectively, then the Doctor uses two Tardises to bring the planet back to twenty twenty two. Yeah, but the Master uses an I-75 TARDIS, and as we all know, they're just a bit bit posh. Yeah, they're like a, they're like when, you know, when you were younger and your dad had, like, a, a Fiesta, but then there was a bloke down the road who had a Fiesta with a spoiler on the back. <laughs> so that's that, that, that's so, that kind of upgrade. Yeah, for a Focus or a Focus ST. Yeah, go faster stripes and stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But this, to be fair, this is a great bit of, of sci-fi stuff. And again, I might be drawing parallels that aren't there, but it feels like the Stolen Earth episode uh, where, where with David Tennant, you know, towards uh, the end of Catherine Tate's run, where they, um, they send all the planets back home and they use the TARDIS to tow the Earth back to where oh, it yes, should be. Yes. It, okay. it felt a little bit like that, but I might just be, again, might just be drawing parallels that, that aren't there. Uh, the Doctor... Then freezes. Uh, first of all, visually spectacular again. The two yeah. Tardises, the lights blasting all over the place. The one Tardis having a red light on top. The the coldness of this kind of steel planet and so on. Cutting to the volcanoes, the red and the explosions and mm. so on. And the Doctor then uses the planet and the the steel and the the Cyberman technology. To effectively freeze the lava, but into steel, and seeing it happen as it was it was exploding, and then in sort of mid explosion, oh my god, that looked amazing! Turning multiple planet-threatening situations into public art. Yes. <laughs> and is the is there anything more sort of doctor than that? No, not. At all. But the, but then what the what they've done is Jodie set up everybody on different instruments to get all this sorted. And the the doctor leaves, and Graham just says, "Can we let go yet?" (laughs) (laughs) Fucking, I love Graham. I just want to give him a big hug and buy him a pint. Oh man, I want to give a shout out as well to that uh, collection of people in the TARDIS at this at this time, because Vinda's basically been he he goes off on his way, and we've got the Doctor played by a lady, we've got the head of units played by a lady. We've got Ace and Tegan who have been absolute badasses throughout this whole episode. Both obviously, you know, lady actors. What a collection of female talent and brilliant, strong female characters and role models right there. And uh, and Yaz. 
Of course, yes, as well. Yes, of course. Absolutely superb, brilliant stuff. Do you know what? Where... I, I didn't even realise until you said it. Yeah, but I, they, literally it just popped in my head because there was one from away. I don't even think it was intentional, but there was a camera shot of them all just looking in the same direction together, all stood around the TARDIS. And I was like, wow, look at that. Yeah. I just looked at it, I just looked at it and thought, what a great mix of, of classic and new. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely, absolutely superb. Absolutely superb. Yeah. But anyway, um, this effectively now, the, the planet is basically being disposed of. We've got mm. Vinder going back home. The Cybermen and the Daleks have been dealt with. The volcanoes have been turned into lovely bits of art. And everything seems to be heading in the right direction until the Doctor kind of goes over and speaks to what used to be the little girl, who I've now noted down as just being what looks like some kind of glowing space spaghetti. Energy spaghetti, uh, also known as a currunx, as I said before. Um. Okay, well, I'm not going to be able to say that. Never mind, remember it. Um, <laughs> so you can't you can't say currunks, but you can say energy spaghetti. Yes. Spaghetti. 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 Sounds like what Matt Jenny has for his tea. Oh fuck my brain. Uh, <laughs> um. Here, the master, though, basically, he zaps the doctor with the space spaghetti stuff. And this is bad news, obviously, because this is effectively what's going to, in theory, kill the doctor off, Dan, isn't it? Well, yeah, but the doctor, so the doctor asks the Kurunks to channel its energy into the cyber planet to free itself. And the Kurunks obliges. And it would have all been fine if the doctor could have just kept walking and ignored the master uh, but the doctor yeah. has to, like actually playing into what you said before the doctor has to turn around and say you've lost you gambled and you lost and now your body's failing because of what you put it through oh. and then we get and then obviously has to stick around for the master's retorts and maybe but if I can't be the doctor then neither can you and it's like he still has a, some sort of power over the currents because he manages to divert the ener- the currents energy beam and and to hit Jody. I think that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. As he sort of his last last gasp, so to speak, and then we get Yaz having the uh, you know making the big save and getting the hero moment. I didn't like that. I don't mind the big save. I don't mind Yaz getting the Doctor into the TARDIS and all that sort of stuff. The whole I don't know whether it's. You know, old are you, are you, are you, are you gonna are you gonna go on a rant about unnecessary unnecessary slow mo? No, no, no. The slow mo doesn't even bother me. But it, it's the the doctor being carried, like I would carry one of my daughters to put them to bed when they were tiny, by you know the the ever her her ever female companion. It just seemed a weird shot to me. Nah, I think with the dynamic between the two characters, I think it worked perfectly, and especially with because the Doctor is out. The Doctor is 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 unconscious. It was either the way Yaz carried the Doctor or a fireman's lift, and it's a damn sight harder to get somebody unconscious into a fireman's lift than to just scoop them up. 
Yeah, that is true, I suppose. The, so when, when you look at it that way, the practicality of it makes sense. It's just me yeah. being me nitpicking, I suppose. And, and mm. wrong. <laughs> and, and wrong, yes. <laughs> but one thing, one thing we can agree on is when the Doctor comes to in the TARDIS and calls the companions old and new and calls them the extended... F- f- I can't even say it. Extended yeah. far, 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 fam, but... Makes me sick in my mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed of myself for having seen it. Yeah. Uh, basically, what we get now is, I suppose, the, the, the couple of really big moments of this show that stand out in my memory. The strongest. Because the Doctor effectively passes out and Yaz takes everyone home. We don't see this. This is, you know, what, what, we're, what we're told when the Doctor comes back around mm. and they have a little exchange of the doctor and Yaz in the TARDIS. And again, incredibly, you know, emotionally it's incredible. It's very highly charged because the doctor starts having the regeneration glow, the regeneration energy mm-hmm. on her hand. And Yaz, you know, the, the doctor asks Yaz, you know what this means? And she says, yes. And the doctor says, I don't want to go. And, you know, in more time and, yeah, and Yaz is crying, and it's this I think is absolutely fantastic on all fronts. I think the writing is done. It's not, it's not in your face. You know, it's not slap you across the mush. Oh my god, I'm going to miss you. I'm so sad. It's a bit more subtle than that, but not so subtle that it's not more emotionally charged than some of the earlier moments, which takes mm-hmm. a great deal to do because they were incredibly emotional as well. Yaz crying is just incredible. And then they talk about one last trip and they're sat on top of the TARDIS eating ice cream, looking at, and it's just, to me, it's just, it, it really gets close to the line of being maybe a bit cheesy, almost a bit over the top cheese romance in a way, but it never crosses that line. And I think that is a moment of genius by who wrote it. Yeah, it's because we've already established between the Doctor and Yaz that the Doctor that the Doctor doesn't want to cross that line uh, with Yaz, and the the reasoning was given in a previous episode. So to have them, you know, these two people who obviously care very deeply for one another, but don't have a fully romantic entanglement. Yeah, it, it really does. It really does hit it perfectly, as you say. They sat there, they're talking like they always do, ice cream overlooking the earth, and it's just very sweet. And they do have to talk talk about it eventually. It feels like one of those situations where they're just having a nice time and enjoying each other's company, but they have to talk about it eventually. Mm. And. I think it's Yaz that says, I don't want it to end. And then the doctor comes back with a wise person once said to me, goodbyes, goodbyes only hurt because what came before was so special. And it's been so special. You, Graham, Ryan, Dan, nobody else got to be us. Nobody else got to live our days. And my hearts are so full of love from all of you. And she says, I've loved being with you, Yaz, and I've loved being me. I think I need to do this next bit alone. Mm-hmm. And... This gave me massive vibes of Capaldi and Smith's um, farewell speeches. Okay. Because, particularly Smith, because Smith has the line, uh, 
I will always remember when the Doctor was me. And it's almost the actor, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, it feels like the actor's love letter to their time in the TARDIS. Yeah. And all the while, Yaz is, like you say, Yaz is sat there desperately trying to hold it together, but still the tears are streaming down her face. And it, it's just such a good performance. And they kind of they agree not to say goodbye. Because, yeah. you know, famous, as we said earlier in the episode, and he's, he's been throughout New Who, the Doctor doesn't like endings, doesn't like goodbyes. And throughout all of this, and it took me till the end of the scene to realise it, the Doctor's hand was still glowing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, even down to I mean, the next moment we see Yaz getting dropped off and we get that moment where they sort of look at the Doctor looking at the TARDIS, Yaz looking back at the TARDIS. And when we then get the shot of the TARDIS uh, sort of over Yaz's shoulder, I guess, we're kind of mm. the opposite side of the conversation, so to speak, aren't we? And we see the door of the TARDIS shut. The hand is still glowing even then. It's the last thing you see when the door shuts is the hand still glowing. And yeah. it may be nothing. It may be a throwaway moment. It may not be something that they really heavily thought of. But I thought that was brilliant as well. Yeah. Just so, so well done. And a, a very a very pleasant end to to that era of, of the Doctor's companions. Oh, well, not quite the end, but you know what I mean, the time in the TARDIS. Yeah. The sign-off um, to the Doctor and that companion, I guess. Sign, sign off perfect yeah and Graham and Dan are there as well which is nice because uh-huh. up until then you're just like <laughs> up until then you kind of just like Yaz has just been left alone yeah there's no one there she's probably not even in the right place the right time because we know how that works <laughs> yeah yeah but, but um, they're Graham asking Dana, they're, yeah, they're sorry, asking Yaz aren't they um, didn't you get your invite mm. and it's like what are they on about <laughs> yeah and Again, just so typically Graham. We cut to Graham and he's talking to people. It's like, apparently I've got to be the first one to talk. And he has this problem. He met this person and got whooshed away across space and time and had amazing adventures. But I can't tell anyone. Yeah. And he's essentially started a support group or a social group for former companions. Mm. And as much as I've seen Tegan and Ace and the old doctors, this was insane. You know, Tegan Ace are there. Mel and Joe. Oh. Ian, Ch- Ian Chesterton. Oh, and when, that, when Ian says, did, sorry, did you say she, her? Oh, yeah, brilliant. No, Ian Chesterton, I'll look this up, I just need to refresh my memory. William Russell is 98 years old, as things stand now. So he would have been 97, maybe 96 when this was aired. And we've, you know, made a lot of fun of of Ian and, and some of the creepier aspects of how he came to be on the TARDIS. Yes. But I, I did it. I did it the first time, and I did it the second time. It made me smile so much, and I was nearly crying. Ah, oh, it was brilliant. And you know, Mel and Joe there. Well, I well sorry, sorry, Dan. With regards to Ian, I wouldn't have twigged it was him without the name badge. No, well, it's you know, given this nearly 60 years since he was in the TARDIS. It's, um, yeah, but as soon as I saw it was him, it's almost like the face just clicked into place. Yeah, yeah, and just, we talk about throwbacks and and characters and 
it just made me so happy that he could be there. That he was st- as morbid as it is that he's still around to have one last impact on this mad on this mad universe. It's so it's just it's just fantastic. Uh, yeah. But then we're back with the doctor, aren't we? Mm. And I think there's something here that is really symbolic that I don't think there's been any regeneration or any doctor exit that has had this. It's when Jodie Whittaker, first of all, she says to the TARDIS, look after the next one or something along those lines. Mm. But then we get the moment where she says about wanting to take in one last, was it sunrise or sunset? Sunrise, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So she's going outside. And that's where effectively she's she's going to regenerate. But we get the moment of looking at the TARDIS doors from almost where I imagine the console area would be. Mm. And Jodie Whittaker's walking out the TARDIS and she stops and she looks back and has one last little look around and walks out the TARDIS door. I and again, pick up on that. Well, to me, again, it's one of those moments where it might just be oh yeah, we'll write this and she'll have a look around and she'll walk. But to me, it just felt so symbolic because that was her leaving the TARDIS. Mm. And I don't think any other Doctor has had that. You think of all the regenerations in New Who. Yeah. They've all took place in the TARDIS. Or on Gallifrey. Yeah. Classic Who. You're looking at all sorts of different aspects of what went on in the TARDIS, forced forced regeneration Mm. in the unit headquarters when Pertwee turned into... Tom Baker, ooh, a tear surging, and and all this sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> you dick. But, <laughs> but Jodie Whittaker gets to look around the TARDIS and and just no words, just just a look on her face and walk out that door, and it felt like when you see the end. It, well, well, it is, I guess. It's not like it felt like it because it is. It's the end of an era, mm-hmm. and it felt like when. You know, soap characters who have ran the Queen Vic leave leave the pub for the last time, or at the end of Friends, which ran for ten years and was obviously hugely popular, they all leave their keys to the flat on mm. the side before walking. It felt like a real end of an era and a brilliant moment of her just walking out the TARDIS door, and that's almost like the cutoff. That's almost like that's that. Then. And I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. You're right. It's the you know turning out the lights for the last time, locking the door, and then we yes. get a little speech. And I don't, I don't understand the significance of the first thing she says because she says something like the blossomiest blossom, and I don't know what okay. that's a reference to. I, I meant I meant to look it up, but I forgot. But then she says that's the only sad thing. I want to know what happens next. Right then, Doctor. Whoever, uh, sorry, said, right then, Doctor. Whoever ever I'm about to be, tag, you're it. Boom. <laughs> yeah, and it's a big regeneration because mm. you know the light, the 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 energy comes out the, in lightning form almost this time, and it looks, you know, it's very, it, it's a spectacle. You know, again, it's another visual masterclass, and we get David Tennant coming back, which is amazing. It's incredible. Uh, He's one of my favourite doctors. But why did his fucking clothes change? I know this, now. Okay. Because we had a bit of a moan about it previously. I don't know if that was a moan on a recording or if it was a moan just between you and me having a conversation. I'm not sure. 
it may have been on our previous look at this when we had our reaction episode but yeah. the reason that the clothes changed was because according to um i think it was russell t davis who said it, it was russell t davis or the, the, the was it chivnall who wrote this i'm not sure uh i can't remember off the top of my head but one of those people i'm fairly certain as russell t davis has said on one of these chat shows or q a jobs or whatever mm. that they didn't want tenant to arrive in whitaker's clothes okay the, brace, the braces and whitaker's trousers are kind of that strip that that kind of odd sort of almost three-quarter length efforts and so on yeah. because they thought that tenant well tenant arrived the first time he's in a leather jacket and a t-shirt that's fine Mm. tenant arrives this time it's a massive moment that's never happened in doctor who before they don't want him stood there looking effectively like people can mock him because he's wearing braces and three-quarter length ladies trousers mm. and it's kind of just put down to that and i initially oh, yeah. it, initially it pissed me off but when i heard that explanation i was like yeah okay i get that yeah i kind of I, I can understand it it's just every single version of the Doctor's regeneration, certainly in New Who, mm. has been wearing exactly the same clothes. And I don't like change. And this also <laughs> leads into a conversation that we've had for the show before about series 6B, I think is the way it's worded. But yes. This, this, this imaginary story between Triton and Pertwee, because Triton is forced to regenerate. And that was the end of the episode. And then the very next time we see the Doctor, Pertwee is falling out of the TARDIS already in Pertwee's clothes rather than in Triton's old clothes. Mm. So that's what, again, regenerating and wearing the previous Doctor's clothes is another sort of um, another adage to people thinking that there's these stories that happen in between Triton and Pertwee. Mm. Because when Pertwee, when Pertwee arrives, he's already wearing his own clothes. Yeah. So, yeah, fair like that's a good point, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's it is a weird little nitpick as most of the sort of the flaws I've been poking, you know, put, I've been poking holes in this. I've been, um, it, again, it, it struck me the first time. It's, it strikes me now as I see it. It's like it's just a bit weird, especially since you see them effectively materialise. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe if if there'd have been the big regeneration thing, and it had, we hadn't seen the the sort of morph into tenant, if they'd just cut back to tenant in a suit, or cut into the TARDIS to see tenant in a suit, mm. then they wouldn't, I wouldn't have spent so much time thinking about it and bollocking on about it. <laughs> ultimately, it's, ultimately, it's inconsequential, really. Yeah, it's it not a big really deal, but, I mean, you could get around it, I suppose, by having Whitaker stood there doing the whole regeneration pose, the explosion, the, the, the lightning, the, the flashes, the, and all that sort of great stuff. And then as she's regenerating, she drops to her knees, drops to the floor, the camera, you know, something happens, there's a bang, there's a whatever, and the camera then is just looking at the grass on the floor, slowly spans around, and we just get Tennant's face, and he's waking up on the floor, and we only see him from the neck down, maybe. Yeah, that'd be another option. But I mean, as it is, I, I, I do quite like that. As soon as tenants, you know, back as it were, he's sort of moving his hands around his face, and then uh, I know these teeth. And oh, in a callback, in a callback, yeah. And then he even does the thing because on his first Christmas special, the Titanic 
crashes through the TARDIS. And he just sits and goes, what? Yeah. What? What? You know, he does, <laughs> he does that again. It's, even, even that's a wonderful little callback. Um, and then it's done and we're, we're sat here waiting until November. <laughs> We've got another nine months. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, it's too long. But yeah. there we go. It gives me and Charlie a chance to get to this point ourselves before the new episodes. Because Charlie knows about Tennant coming back. She, oh, right. there's, there's no way of her avoiding that. So we actually, when, when she found out that this was something like this was going to happen, and she, she guessed an old doctor was coming back but didn't know who. Yeah. And she's just started looking at YouTube videos of like the best 10 Doctor Who moments and all this sort of stuff. And you can't nice. get proper to YouTube. Yeah. So. I sat her down and we watched the regeneration scene and oh. honestly her face I've never seen <laughs> it was like it was like when she was absolutely tiny and she would rip the paper off her presents at Christmas morning it was that that <laughs> look in her eyes that excitement just seeing David Tennant there it was oh honestly uh, uh, from my standpoint as a big Doctor Who fan and her dad I got almost emotional watching her reaction to that regeneration as I did since Sylvester McCoy and Ace earlier in the episode. <laughs> that's, that's incredibly cool, mate. I love that. I really yeah, do. I was very excited. So there we go. There we go. So to summarize, Dan, before we get off, because this has been quite a long recording and I've got editing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, full disclosure, it has been a long recording. It's because I broke off to have my tea in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> I had some noodles. <laughs> yeah. next week on Cyan Dan next week, next week on what we had for our tea <laughs> <laughs> but to answer the burning question which I think for both of us is does it stand up to a sober scrutiny and also now that the, the sort of the hype's worn off mm. um, for me yes it does okay. I think it's a great mix of fan service of Doctor Who history of tying up you know tying up certain stories of classic villains and I think it's a very good send off for, for Jodie Whittaker it does it does a little bit of everything I want from Doctor Who and it does the vast majority of it well any criticisms I have is minor I can see why the pacing of it would would throw some people and it could have maybe had an extra 10-15 to let certain points breathe or expand on little bits to just to sort of you know hammer points home. But overall I I adore this episode still. Yeah. Okay. For me, and I want to sort of uh, go ahead first of all and say any minor criticisms or anything I say now, I don't want people to take as me criticizing, bitching, playing this down because I still love this. Mm. I still absolutely love this, but I'm going to try and be as, I suppose, realistic and and uh, as I can be. So many moments in this are going to rank really highly. When I think to myself, what are my favourite moments of New Who? Mm. So many moments in this are going to outrank ep- moments that used to be on that list from Eccleston, Tennant, and so on. Yeah. The the nostalgia factor is right at my street because I bloody love anything nostalgic and and reminds me of being younger and so on. Love all of that. Visually, this is incredible. As we've said all the way through the episode, Dan, different sets, planets, situations, amazing. Yeah. You know, really important, iconic villains all the way through. The Master dancing to Rasputin is potentially one of the 
fucking funniest things I've seen ever filmed ever. <laughs> I love that. That is fantastic. However, yes, the pacing can be a bit off, but it wasn't enough to wreck it for me. It was still, it was still fine. It was a minor nitpick, but I think that there's been plenty of stronger stories. Mm than the actual story we get here. So my best way of summarizing this particular episode up as a whole is to say this is a fucking fantastic episode of Doctor Who for me personally with a good story as opposed to it being a great or fantastic story. Fair enough. I think the moments make it better than you know, the, you know the moments I'm referring to, obviously the yeah. the, the meeting yeah. at the end. The, the, yeah, um, the moments make it much much better than the story itself. If this if the story was a standalone story without those moments, I don't think the story is the strongest. It's not the weakest. I, I think it's a good story with fantastic moments, as opposed to a fantastic all round show. If that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's absolutely. I still fair. loved it. I still, I, I still loved it, and I can't wait to watch it with Charlie. So, yeah, it, it's kind of, it's a little bit like a best of Raw DVD that I used to have, in that it had all the great moments and hits from ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. So you had all those awesome moments put into one, and you could enjoy them and relive them, and then think, oh, wasn't it brilliant? Wasn't it brilliant? Yeah. But individually, there'd be better pay-per-views or better Raws or whatever. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, that's, I'm, I was just trying to sort of put it into relative terms for, for, yeah. for my way of thinking. But yeah, and obviously but that, The Undertaker dancing to a Boney M 70s disco classic. Yes, yes. That, <laughs> yeah, that, that was a lot of that. Just cards on the table, this is going to rank fairly highly for me. Um, but look, I'm just having a look at our list of what we've watched this season. Apart from a couple of episodes which are going to rank very low for me, which I'm certain of, I'm going to I'm going to struggle to do my wrap up. Mm, and me, really, I, and I mean really struggle. I I think that the nature of the beast when it comes to our our countdown episode, something has to go. I mean, how many episodes we're we looking at? Fourteen again? Was it something? Yeah, like fourteen that? again. Yeah, right. fourteen and thirteen are going to effectively be locked in for me. I think. Yes, and I imagine for you as well. And Matt Smith, we apologise. <laughs> but um, something has to go 12th. But that doesn't yeah. mean it's shit, because we've got so many great stories, but something has to go 12th. Yeah, it's going to be. It's it. going to take a lot of effort for us to do that countdown episode, my friend. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad I've got. I'm glad I've got a couple of weeks from time recording because, I've, yeah, I've been thinking about this for a little bit now, and oof, it's. <laughs> It's gonna, can we have like joint first 13 and 14 <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> I was about to ask you then actually Dan I, normally this time of the episode we're closing up um, before we run through our s- socials and where people can find us and other content we're involved in I normally say to you so what are we doing next week then but we're doing our countdown next week aren't we yeah, next week is the countdown. Just uh, as I say, from time of recording, I've got two weeks because <laughs> we're a little bit. Out we're, we're, yeah, we're we're recording all jumbled up for the next few weeks, aren't we? So yeah, yeah when people hear this, this is the last episode of this series of the Doctor Who Pod reviewing a story. 
So next week, as you hear this, will be the last episode of the season yep. because we're going to do our countdown episode. But yeah, we've still got a couple of weeks because we're all jumbled up and... Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Yes, yeah. exactly. But yeah, we're going to going to be doing that again. I always love doing the the uh, the, the list episode, the, the the recap, the the rundown, whatever you want to call it. It is fun to put them in order and see how we we link up. We'll then be taking a little bit of a break and coming back at some point. We've yet to decide on that. Uh-huh. Um, but um, we've already got a, we've already got a few plans in place for uh, for season four. We'll be doing a I, th- I think we'll be doing some form of draft episode again. We're just working out the details on how that'll uh, how that'll come about. Uh, how hopefully yeah. I won't shit out this time and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you get every doctor I want. <laughs> well, you've, you've already been moaning about some of the guest picks for next season. <laughs> Because it's taken a doctor that you wanted. Yeah, I know. But that's, that's just how organised we are, mate. We haven't even finished season three. We've already got our guests signed up for season four. It's almost like we're a professional, isn't it? But we're not. No, we're not. And if you want to hear more of us being unprofessional, then by all means, do so. Dan, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies and TV that are 25 years out of date. Uh, if you want to hear more of me, you can look up uh, Unbooking the Territory at UTT Podcast, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, or you can hear our side project, Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times and the trials and tribulations of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott, in his room in WCW. It's all a bit niche and a, a sort of niche within a niche but we have a lot of fun indeed indeed anything i'm involved in uh can you know be in your ear holes via the network that carries this show at sjp world media and that's plenty of wrestling content um looking at other tv shows quantum leap with the waiting room podcast the the bbc drama series murder in minds that we do with our good friend morty as well that i mean there's loads of stuff more stuff coming all the time as well make sure to check out the doctor who pod merchandise store as well there's a few designs on there we do t-shirts hoodies mugs stickers mouse mats all sorts of nonsense all different colors have a little look have a play around on the site let us know what you think and also linked to that is the full site for the whole network so if you're into other shows that we carry by all means check that out too that's at sjp world media the links to the merchandise store will be on our social medias and in the description for this episode and this show itself you can also find on facebook and twitter and that is at the doctor who pod that's at the doctor who pod at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod countdown next week then dan sort of in two weeks time next week yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i can't wait for it mate it's always one of the highlights of the season and i just wanted to say on a personal note thank you for taking all this time out on your birthday to record with me i know you don't oh, put much so. store i know you don't put much store by your birthday really but i really do appreciate it and i just wanted to get that on recording thank you very much birthday boy Oh, well, I've loved it, mate. You ain't got to thank me. I've really enjoyed it. So there we go. Right, there we go then. Dan, I'll speak to you next week, my friend. Yeah, see you soon, buddy. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Martin Giannetti's Energy Spaghetti.
Might as well, because I've just started. It's not a migraine, but I've just started with an edit. Okay. But it's fine. Okay. Well, I don't think we're going to go massively long, are we? I mean, it's was well, no, no. for a start, but it's... Uh... No, no, it won't be oh, massive. No, as, I've, as I've said to many women, it's not massively. It's not going to be massively long, but we'll enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I will. Yeah. <laughs> and when I, say, when I say many women, that's a fucking lie. <laughs> and there's the first outtake at the end of the show. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and like a few women have said, said to me, that didn't take long, did it? Oh, you don't know where we ready to go? Yes, let's do it. A Dalek opening, to me, don't go down that road. A d- <laughs> a d- <laughs> uh, uh, AB's not here, I wasn't. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to start that again, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to giggly me. You just, you just, you just dirty joked yourself. I did. A Dalek opening is very special to me, was the line I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> ah, new fetish unlocked. <laughs> Goodness sake, right. Side bits his Dalek fetish and promptly dies. <laughs> uh, and that's when the host died. Um, <laughs> <laughs> While masturbating to an open Dalek. <laughs> uh, okay, let me try this again. Right. I have just had a massive plate, a massive bowl of lamb shank and mashed potato. Nice. Oh, man. <laughs> so good. We need to get this uh, finished before you fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, two six. <sighs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to put that on the outtakes. It wouldn't be the first time I've fired on a podcast. No worries. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, we were talking about his outfit. Meanwhile, Ace and Brian are killing a shit ton of Daleks. <laughs> Ace and who? I got oh fuck's sake. Ace, uh, I'll do that again. Why have I got Brian? What the fuck? Yeah, where have you got Brian from? I don't know. That's what literally I got written down in front of me. Ace and think, Brian. Is there even a Brian in Doctor Who at any point? I don't think there is. <laughs> who the fuck's Brian? Uh, no, do you know what? I'm going to be far too nice to you. His his full name is Graham O'Brien. Oh, okay. Interesting. So you, you, you were just getting his, you were just using his surname instead, weren't you? That was exactly what I was doing. I'm cutting all this shit out, so it doesn't matter. Ah, fuck's sake! I nearly said Ace and Brian again. <laughs> Ace is <laughs> so you twat. Oh my god! What the fuck is wrong with him? Oh, Ace, Ace Freely and Daniel Bryan are beating up a Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Right. Okay. Okay. Composure. Get yourself together. Sorry. Come on. <laughs>